I'll call the meeting to order, please, at our new time at 5 o'clock. Mr. City Clerk, roll call, please. Councilmember Duran? Here. Councilmember McReynolds? Here. Councilmember Johnson? Here. Councilmember Halter? Here. Councilmember Campos? Here. Deputy Mayor Dr. Sanchez Palacios? Here. And Mayor Schrader? Here. Seven members present. We do have a quorum. Thank you. We'll do the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, Deputy Mayor, would you like to start us off? Certainly. Please join me. <clears throat> I pledge allegiance to, to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Sometimes um, at Mayor we celebrate some things and sometimes we have to deal with tragedy and tonight uh, we'll have a mixed bag of that and in late December our community was devastated by the passing of two city employees from our park and recs department. Amber Wyatt who served as our aquatic supervisor and John Sibthorpe who served as our park supervisor. News of their accident had left us all with heavy hearts touching the lives of thousands. Not just the city council and city employees, but also the residents who served at our aquatic center and our park facilities. We're honored to have members of their families and friends join us tonight to celebrate them and their dedication to our community. We stand in solidarity with you, all to grieve their losses and to celebrate their lives. Amber began her journey with us in 2019 as the aquatics coordinator and was promoted to aquatic supervisor in February of last year. She has always been an instrumental part of our aquatics team, whose programming is our most popular and utilized by our residents. When she was promoted, she said she was most excited about making programming more accessible to residents and increasing participation. And in less than a year, she achieved those goals, partnering with our local YMCA to offer additional free adaptive swim lessons and classes. John joined our city team only six months ago, in June of 2023, as our park supervisor. Having previously worked in various positions, including maintenance technician, pool supervisor, and pool supervisor for a local government agency. He was with us for only a short time, but the impacts of his work will be utilized and enjoyed by generations to come. John worked each day with his dedicated team to oversee 46 parks covering over 800 acres, including open spaces, playgrounds, sports fields, beaches, community centers, gardens, historic sites, and the Ventura Aquatic Center. John also supported our golf services and ongoing capital improvement projects. He was a strong leader who led by example. They were both vital to our community services and programming. We are forever grateful and honored to have had them on our team. Tonight, we'd like to present two proclamations to their families on behalf of Amber and John in honor of their public service to our city and residents. I have the proclamations here, and I'll walk down. Do you have the proclamations there? 
So we'd like to go ahead and invite the families up. If we could, I'd like to have a small moment of silence for both our employees. Thank you very much, and thank you. Uh, other special presentations, I have the Knoll Drive Recuperative Care Center update, Mr. Powers and Jen Harkey. Good evening, Happy New Year, Council, Mr. Mayor, City Manager Ayub. My name is Scott Powers. I serve as the Deputy CFO for the County of Ventura. Uh, with me are two of uh, my colleagues from the healthcare agency, Dr. Stern and Deanna Handel. Um, and we are here to announce and inform your board of an opportunity we're pursuing with uh, the Gold Coast Health Plan. About a, m a month ago, our board approved an agreement with the Gold Coast Health Plan to fund 50 recuperative care beds at the Knoll Drive property. In addition to that, 75 beds will be funded for the Vanguard property, which is in Oxnard. But at the Knoll Drive property, as you're familiar with, the uh, arch property, the arch, uh, all roads connect to home shelters in the first floor. And since that time, that opened in January of 2020, I believe, we've been trying to find the right, the right use of the rest of that property. And we've been looking at other opportunities with city staff, with county staff, and landed on this great opportunity for recuperative care beds. A, they're, they're fully funded by the Gold Coast Health Plan. They'll be operated uh, through another uh, third-party administrator. And we see a great opportunity financially and, and obviously to serve the community. So I wanted to invite Dr. Stern and, and Deanna to share some more information on that. Thank you. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes. I did wanna say I'm so sorry for the loss of the two employees. Uh, before I share a little bit about what recuperative care is. Uh, so I'm Rachel Stern. I'm the Chief Medical Quality Officer for Ambulatory Care. I'm an internal medicine physician, and I oversee the county's whole person care program, along with Deanna. And we are really excited to tell you a little bit more about what recuperative care is and what the plan is to expand it. So recuperative care is a program that serves unsheltered individuals who are too well to stay in a hospital, but too sick to return to an unstable living situation. Locally and nationally, recuperative care is seen as an essential 
service that allows hospitals to provide compassionate and effective care to people experiencing homelessness. So for example, if you have an unsheltered person who had an emergency surgery, it wouldn't be appropriate that for them to go straight from the hospital back to where they were living in a tent or on the street because they might be at risk for a wound infection because they have no way to keep their wound clean uh, and no place to store their bandages. And so recuperative care, which is happens in the city of Ventura now and is provided through the county now, uh, it provides a safe and stable alternative. Um, so in, in that situation, that person would go stay at recuperative care on an interim basis and get medical and social supports that would help them recover. And so the services that are provided include assistance getting to appointments and with establishing and reestablishing primary care, helping people get the identification and documents they need so that they can get housed, helping people access mental health and substance use uh, you know, treatment services and getting case management. And a major priority of the service is to get people housed rather than going back to the street. And 60% of the people in our current recuperative care facility go somewhere else besides the street after they finish their stay there. And so the current county and city and uh, recuperative care program is a partnership between the county and the, and the National Healthcare Foundation, which is a nonprofit, and it operates out of a motel in Ventura. We have 32 beds right now, and that site is supposed to expand to 50 beds. Um, but despite that expansion, there's not enough uh, beds for to meet the current need. It's completely full every day, and there's people waiting at the hospitals who are don't need to be in the hospital anymore, but are uh, in the hospital because they can't get into a recuperative care bed. And then the other piece is that it's just not financially sustainable long-term to operate this in a motel, um, nor does it make a lot of programmatic sense. Like it would be better to um, have places where people can have communal meals, for example. And so Gold Coast Health Plan is providing the funding to renovate Null Drive into a 50-bed expansion of recuperative care. Uh, and then in addition to a building that's being renovated in Oxnard, it'll more than double our capacity for this service. And then based on the data that we have available from area hospitals, we think that all those beds will be filled. And so uh, just to reiterate, expanding access to recuperative care will decompress our hospitals here in Ventura from people who no longer need hospital services but do need a safe place to recover. And we're really hopeful that having twice as many beds will also mean that people who are in the emergency room and need to go somewhere else or people who are in nursing homes uh, or people encountered on the street who are very medically frail might be able to go to recuperative care too. Uh, and then just to answer the most common question about who can go there, the vast majority of people who go to recuperative care have Medi-Cal. And so Gold Coast Health Plan ends up being the primary payer for the service. Um, the hospitals also pay for people who have other insurance to stay there on a uh, more temporary basis. And it, it, the service is available to everybody. So I'm happy to answer questions about the need for the service or its role in the community, but we are really excited to be able to use the unused space in all drive in this way. Questions from council? So probably is the 50 beds, you think that will be enough capacity to handle not, not by itself. I, we also need the 75-ish to 100 beds that are going to come online in Oxnard probably one to two years later okay. to be able to handle the whole county's need. I think it, the 50 beds is, uh, is enough for Ventura. Okay. All right. Yes. Councilmember Johnson. 
Thank you. I, I just want to express my appreciation for everybody at the county for working on this. Uh, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, our partners with the County of Ventura, um, you know, this wouldn't be possible if we didn't have that Knoll Drive property, and that only came about from very intentionally working very closely with the county, mending fences and, and keeping an open dialogue. And I think this just goes to show how important that is uh, for our residents, for the, for the county, and, you know, I always have to wonder if, you know, someday I'll, I'll be in that situation because it can't happen to anybody. And so thank you so much. Other questions or comments? Thank you so much and thanks for what you're doing and thank you for adding to the capacity. And uh, we're not done, but we're going to get there, aren't we? Thank you so much for your time. Okay, have a good night. Now I'd like to recognize the state champion Ventura High School girls cross country team. Ladies, if you would step up to the mic. And is uh, Coach Spiker here? Come on up, Josh. Well, Josh, is it true this is your first year? Yes. Well, what are you going to do next year to top this? <laughs> so, ladies, uh, we are all, like, so impressed that you did this. And looking at, and I, I talked to most of you before the event, my understanding we, everybody's coming back to the team next year except for one? Yeah. Who's the lone senior? Okay. Are they going to miss you a lot? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> um, so just a, a couple of the team accomplishments. League champions, Ventura County champions, CIF Division II Southern Section champions, and California State Division II champions. So, Coach, is this the first time ever um, for Ventura High School as state champions in cross country? I think this is our uh, third, third title. The last one was like 20, 20 years ago. Wow. So, team members, Bailey Burnham, Alo Curtis, Brody Daw, Sophia Densler, Sadie Egelhart, Violet Hurgai. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. Tiffany Sachs, Melanie True. Well, I have some. Coach, do you want to say a few words, or do you have a team captain who wants to say something? <laughs> yeah, the senior, you got to step I, up I now. know. I didn't expect this. I'm scared. Okay. Um, I think that first we want to say thank you to our coach. It was his first year, and we are so appreciative of him and Krissa, who's here. Um, and then we also want to say thank you to everybody in our community, too, especially being here. I think it's nice to be recognized, and, and it's nice to feel appreciated. So we definitely couldn't have done it without the people in our community because we had a lot of help from a lot of people. So we thank all of you guys, too, as well as our coaches, and these girls are great. So I'm so proud of them, and they're going to do so good next year. So expect bigger and better things, I think. So when did you know as a team that you had a chance to be great? Um, I think when 
Well, I knew when Tiffany Sachs was coming, I was like, okay. So she transferred this year, she was new. And I think when I knew she was coming, I was like, okay, maybe we, we have a shot. So we have a lot to say thank you to her. And then I think this year with Josh, we just kind of knew we would be putting in a lot more work. So we spent more time um, and effort after practices and during practices and before practices and just all the above. Well, we expect to see you back next year, but I want you to understand that next year you're going to have a bullseye on your back from everybody in the state. Um, so the key is that the bullseye is on, their, on your back and let them watch the bullseye as you're in front of them and fish, finishing ahead of them. So I'll come down now and give you some recognition. Once again, thank you. Congratulations. And Mr. Mayor, if I may, before we go to the closed session report out, I just wanted to report that we are having uh, troubles with the WebEx links that's posted on the City Council agenda. We are updating the WebEx link right now, posting it to the Agenda uh, Center, and working with the communications team to ensure that everyone has access to that link. So just wanted to provide that update, and the revised link is being posted as we speak. Thank you. I don't think when that uh, people look at that picture that they're going to have a hard time picking out the mayor. That's the one that's the only one who's not in running shape. Ladies, congratulations. Thank Coach, thank you. Congratulations again. We'll now go to a closed session report, please. 
City you, Attorney Heglin. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We did have closed session tonight on the item listed on the agenda, and there was no reportable action. Thank you. City Council Communications. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I don't have any slides tonight. I'm, I'm, uh, I just want to let everybody know I'm still recuperating from that respiratory virus going around. Be careful. It, it had me pretty sick for a couple weeks there. From, in my experience, it was a lot worse than COVID. So, so we really do you know, take the precautions that you can. Um, other than that, I just wanted to share with my colleagues that um, I am now the chair of Gold Coast Transit, and I'm also the chair of the Ventura Council of Government. So I look forward to representing Ventura on those bodies as chair. Thank you, Mayor. Other city council members? Councilmember Campos? Thank you, Michael. Um, I just have one announcement, um, which is something that we as a city and in different communities here in the city have been working on for quite a while. There is a workshop on the 27th of January at the Ventura Avenue Library to sign up anyone who needs it for free and or low cost digital access internet access for anyone in the community who has a need and has been unable to hook up. January 27th, Ventura Avenue Library. And at the next meeting, I'll give you the times um, and any requirements you need. Thank you. Councilmember McReynolds. Uh, I just wanted to invite everybody to attend the uh, appointments recommendations uh, committee meeting tomorrow night as we continue to work through the council protocols. Uh, Again, the meeting is here at City Hall at 5.30. So thank you. Other council members. Um, I'd like to thank city and county workers. Uh, most of you probably saw the video that came from the ocean down seaward and saw the people running from that. Uh, I was down there uh, frequently checking in with while the hotel got battered and is now shut, the rest of the um, Companies down there, organizations and restaurants uh, rallied and some of them had to clean up a little bit. But what amazed me was how quickly the city and county um, got that berm ready. I I'm thinking it took maybe a little over four hours to build a, I'm gonna call it a six foot sand berm uh, from Marina Park to the state park. That's probably about a mile. And it was amazing to watch city and county people working together, and it, it just is a sign of what we can do when we work together. Uh, it, it was fabulous. Uh, I just let's hope that we don't have high tides and surf like that. To tell you how strong that surf was, and, and I know the city manager is going to go over a little bit about the pier. Uh, on the day following the big surf, there was a 31-foot-long piling that was on the beach. And when I say on the beach, it was real close to Seaward, and it was almost all the way to the hotel. I have no idea what that thing weighs, but it was 31 feet long, and it was one of the pilings. And to make that even more outstanding, when I walked 10 yards further, there was another 18-foot section, uh, another piling. And I, City manager will give us an update on what happened to the pier. Um, the destructive ability of those waves is incredible. The only struggle we had, I was down there with Ventura PD, 
and Ventura PD had a bullhorn, and after that rogue wave hit, they were asking people to move back away from the wall, and uh, we couldn't get the people to move away from the wall, so I went and talked to them and asked them, and they did move about 15 feet away from the wall for about 15 minutes, and then they were back on the wall again. But I'm, let, let's learn from that and stay away from that, because that force of that water, um, when I saw it, they have those concrete trash cans down there. It moved that concrete trash can. They look like it weighed 10 pounds. When I walked Marina Park, if you've ever been out towards the point, and they have the cement benches, it took eight or 10 of the benches, I think, Bill, and just, excuse me, city manager, and moved it around like it was cardboard. It was, and those things have to weigh over 400 pounds. So let's be careful. Let's hope we don't have to go through that again. But again, congratulations, Public Works, Park and Recs, County Fire, City Fire, everybody. I met a whole bunch of county employees that were there, um, lifeguards, rescue, uh, and there were some people that were out in the water. Um, so anyways, thanks again to everybody who contributed. Uh, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, yes, our, uh, our pier was damaged in the last storm event. Uh, as, as I think everyone here knows, the pier was damaged in the early part of 2023, and uh, the city had secured the pier with, with some existing city funds, and we're awaiting uh, reimbursement from the federal government for the storm, storm damage. We received that funding and, and initiated repair work uh, just before the king tides and the high surf came and, and uh, battered our pier some more. So uh, while we were able to begin a little bit of that repair work, uh, we ended up losing 19 additional piles, uh, about 60 pieces of uh, bracing and, uh, and timber, uh, and, and sustained about one and three quarter million dollars additional damage to our pier. Uh, if it weren't for the quick work of crews that were on the, on the job all week, uh, and we're able to get in between uh, Thursday and Saturday when we had the big sets of surf uh, and install cabling and secure the pier uh, could have been catastrophically damaged. And so I'm really proud of the great work that was done, the quick action of, of staff and our contractors to, to help rescue our pier from, uh, from the damage. And we have initiated emergency repairs on the new damage uh, so that we can, we can preserve our pier and, and not face its loss. Uh, we'll have a little more information presented by Public Works uh, a little later this evening as well. I wanted to acknowledge our Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. Every year on January 9th, we celebrate National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, which brings attention and recognition to our uh, Ventura police staff, who are a vital part of our community and our public safety team. Tonight, I'm honored to recognize the 250 sworn officers, professional staff, and volunteers who serve our city in the Ventura Police Department. Each day they protect, serve, and problem solve with Ventura residents, business owners, and visitors, and provide a difficult service with professionalism, integrity, and transparency. On behalf of the city and the council, thank you to our Ventura Police Department. We are incredibly grateful for your service. Last December, we initiated two surveys to glean insights from our citizens and our local businesses on our homelessness challenges. The surveys are available online in both English and Spanish and are open now through Friday, January 19th. 
your feedback on homelessness initiatives, funding priorities, and existing housing programs is important and will help us in our efforts to create an effective strategy in addressing homelessness, which aligns with the Council's goals of establishing a comprehensive citywide homelessness plan. Recognizing the critical need for community members to be prepared and confident in taking appropriate action during and after a disaster, the City of Ventura is excited to announce the launch of its new Community Emergency Response Team, or CERT, training. This free comprehensive program equips 40 participants with essential skills and knowledge about potential local disasters and how to respond safely, swiftly, and responsibly. Applications are open to Ventura and Santa Paula residents and will be accepted through Wednesday, January 24th. You can learn more about this program if you're interested at VenturaPD.org. We are looking for people to get involved in our council advisory groups. There are currently four openings on our Water Commission, Downtown Parking Advisory Committee, and Housing Authority Board. Applications are due by February 2nd, and you can visit our city website to learn more and apply. The Ventura River Trail Improvement Project is seeking uh, proposals from professional artists for a large public art mural along the newly renovated bike and walking path. Applications are due by February 8th. And as with everything else, you can visit our city website to learn more and to apply. Our 2024 Corporate Games registration is now open. Uh, we ask that you gather your coworkers for six weeks of friendly business-to-business -business competitions this April. You can sign up for pickleball, baseball, soccer, bowling, tug-of-war, and much more. Last year, the County of Ventura, Oxnard Unified High School District, Newport Healthcare, and Calavo Growers were the overall champions among their divisions. And you can visit the city's website to register a team if you're interested. Our next regular council meeting will be January 23rd, 2024, beginning at 5 p.m. And the council's next annual goal-setting session is set for Saturday, February 3rd, and will begin at 9 a.m. right here at the City Hall campus in the community room. Those are my comments, Mayor. Thank you. Mayor. Yes. May I interrupt just before we start public comments with a question for the city manager? The CERT training, I notice, doesn't have a link or a, a registration form specific to Spanish training, Spanish language. Um, could you look into that at some point and get back to us so we can notify the community? I will, I will verify that we have a Spanish language application. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Other questions? If not, we'll go to public communications. Public communications is the portion of the council meeting set aside for members of the public to address city council on items of any city business other than scheduled agenda items. Per the Brown Act, the city council is restricted from discussing, deliberating, or voting on any matter raised during public communications. If you have any thoughts to share during public comment, please take a moment to submit your speaker card now as all speaker cards should be submitted at this time. Mr. City Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We did receive communications via email and those have now been posted in the supplemental packet. And we do have uh, several speaker that speakers this evening, starting with uh, P Fields. 
I, a retired university teacher, I overheard Spencer assaulting and battering someone. And people have been, during public meetings, Spencer has been witness of being a serious problem and having a serious problem with Mr. Johnson. Spencer has a proven potential for violence, which caused reasonable fear for staff, city council, and citizens, including me. Mr. City Attorney, if you're staying for the case in, as our city attorney, my suggestion for you is to make a U-turn and clear this climate of fear, retaliation through third parties like Spencer, because it's made our city into another bell city under your watch as city attorney with unchecked multiple powers as opposed to the meaningless ceremonial temporary city councilman and fearful citizenry. You have a chance to redeem yourself by protecting us from Spencer. Should anything happen to us, it's your sole responsibility for not having protected us and for continuing to violate our peaceful three minutes of free speech. When you act with double standard by granting on each agenda item 30 minutes or so to city employees in close to that amount of time to certain councilmen which you know, when the simple solution is let each taxpayer three minutes of free speech, 10 minutes for employees presenting three slides, 10 minutes for each councilman with a maximum of three slides on each agenda item. The Constitution guarantees that we are to have free speech. Free speech must be respected and cannot be forbidden. It's important to note that the power comes from you, the people. You are the only people that have that power. The rest, authorities, are temporary tenants. When you withdraw that power, they are nothing. So we must respect you. It is with your rent, with your hard work, with your tax paying that the city and the county and the United States is working. It is important to note that whenever the city manager or the city attorney says, uh, you cannot say that or say the other thing. Excuse me, sir, your comments need to be directed to, to the city legal council. legal authority under free speech. And it's important for him as legal attorney to cite exactly legal authority to say under this authority I'm forbidden it. But he has to cite legal authority. Under the United States Thank you. That's your time. We have Our next speaker is Casey Rodriguez, followed by John Sanders Jones. Haku, hello. Blessings to everyone for 2024. Tonight, I speak only for myself. With less than one week till Martin Luther King Jr. Day, there's a dream of mine that I've shared for years to numerous council members, and it's heartbreaking to feel what should be an easy dream to turn into reality become a battle to achieve. 
a dream where the citizens of Ventura are respected and listened to by the city council. It is heartbreaking to be among many citizens who feel like we continue to get silenced more and more. Having our city meetings changed to Tuesdays and especially to 5 p.m. seems to be another attempt. It is disrespectful to our 9 to 5 working citizens. They work hard and get plenty of money to the city as 9 to 5 working citizens already struggle to maintain paying the high, ridiculous, increasing rent to live here. Many who have been born here and lived their entire lives here now have their vices limited. Some might say they can still send email to address their concerns. This is a privileged thought to have since many do not have access to the internet or know how to. Second, it is a conflict for citizens who are connected to other local cities that also have meetings on Tuesdays, such as me being executive board member of California Dem Party 8038, which includes Oxnard, especially tonight, as they host a special ceasefire discussion, a meeting we should be having no matter what one's views are. It is important to hear our citizens on this matter. Three, some council members have said they want to stay they want to start early for more sleep. Shouldn't this be a known issue before you ran? Your main concern should be regaining Ventura citizens' trust and respect. Lastly, the known problematic issue Councilwoman Campos has with arriving to closed sessions because of her previous two environmental board obligations. One, that she was appointed to while being on this council. If the city continues to reduce our voices, we citizens will start voicing our opinions in more creative spaces like Ventura Typod. For where the citizens are united, lies will power. Such places like Ventura Typod will amplify the voice of those who have had their time taken away. Being silenced will only make our voices louder. Lastly, I would like to say a very special thank you to our local positions, Grigsby and Josie, as well as our downtown Come a small store, Ecker Green, for hosting our second Holly Jolly Tar Drive this past Christmas. We had the privilege of serving more than 50 families, giving toys and food, and a special thank you to Compost sorry, for coming out and supporting our area. Thank you. Our next speaker is John Sanders-Jones, followed by Jasmine Duran. Good evening, everyone. After all these years of speaking before council at first Monday of the month, I'll have to get used to the first Tuesday. As 2024 starts, I would like to share a column that appeared in the New York Times last week, titled, When the World Feels Dark, Seek Out Delight. It was written by Catherine Price. She starts out, here's an idea for the new year. Let's make 2024 the year of delight. Does that sound ridiculous, given the state of the world right now? Hear me out. She continues. The basic premise of a delight practice, which I learned about in an essay collection, The Book of Delights by Ross Gay, is simple. You make a point to notice things in your everyday life that delight you. They could be anything, a pretty flower, a smile you share with a stranger, the sight of a person playing a trumpet while riding a unicycle down a major Philadelphia thoroughfare. True story. Nothing is too small or absurd. Then whenever you notice something that delights you, you lift your arm, raise your right finger in the air, and say out loud with enthusiasm, delight. She makes reference to the sight of a person playing a trombone or riding a unicycle down a major Philadelphia thoroughfare. I can't say I've ever encountered a person playing a trumpet while riding a unicycle down a major Philadelphia thoroughfare. 
I do recall a visit to Brother Benos in Oceanside in 2014 where I was volunteering for a week. From their website, Brother Benos is dedicated to serving the homeless neighbors, the working poor, and seniors in North San Diego County in offering essential meals, addressing basic needs, fostering community outreach, and supporting addiction recovery. Part of the week I was in the soup kitchen serving food or coffee. At one point I experienced something dissimilar to what happened when I was helping out at the women's warming shelter in, uh, in, in Ventura. When a mother is there with her young children, part of my brain wants to Photoshop the scene before me. Part of me says, this is so out of place. This, uh, someone this young should not be at a, a, a warming shelter or a soup kitchen. And then another part of my brain pipes up and says, no, the children being with their parent or parents are not out of place, not out of order. Rather, what is out of order is out of balance, uh, the unmet needs of so many of our brothers and sisters. What is out of order is our acceptance of the situation. And yet, in the same instance, same scene, I receive a gift, a blessing, for there's a young child there, perhaps three or four, and as I glance over his way, his eyes catch mine, and his face lights up, and he smiles like only a child can smile, and I think, wow, what have I done to be a recipient of such a bolt of joy? Do read the entire column, When the World Seeks Out, Seeks Dark, Seek Out Delight. I'm pretty sure it's not behind a firewall. In 2024, find delight and share delight. Thank you. Jasmine Duran, followed by Nirvanika going solo. Good evening, Ventura City Council and fellow community members. My name is Jasmine Duran, and I'm on, here on behalf of the Autism Society of Ventura County and our advocacy committee. Our advocacy committee is passionate about making Ventura County an even better place to live for those with autism and their families. I'm here today with an exciting invitation. Autism Society Ventura County is proud to be presenting the first ever Celebrating the Autistic Mind Art Show at the Museum of Ventura County. This art show will feature art from over 40 talented, neurodiverse individuals in our community. And these pieces of art are telling an intriguing story of complex and beautiful minds and are sure to leave you with a new look on autism. Celebrating the Autistic Mind Art Show begins Thursday, January 11th, and will run through Sunday, January 14th at the Museum of Ventura, Ventura County, located here in Ventura. And the show will be from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, with a special opening celebration on Thursday evening from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Again, Thursday evening, 5.30 to 7 we would like to thank you, the City Council and your staff and Arts Commissioners for making this event possible through your Cultural Arts Grant Program. Your contribution has allowed us to offer this event free to the community. We did not charge artists to submit, feature, or frame their art to ensure accessibility. And if arts, artists elect, they're able to sell their art and keep 100% of the proceeds. We would also like to thank another nonprofit Buena Ventura Art Association for helping us curate, frame, organize, and present a professional art show. We sincerely hope you will be able to attend the Celebrating the Autistic Mind Art Show January 11th through the 14th at the Museum of Ventura County. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at advocacy at autismventura.org, and I'll be leaving these flyers here for you as well. Thank you. Next speaker is Nirvanika, followed by Glenn Overly, followed by Terry Foley, and then Matt Bello. Thank you. Good evening. Um, I'm a construction worker, and uh, what I build is shows. 
but I also am a reconstruction worker. And what I do is I reconstruct cities and city halls. And I'm going to start out, and I also am a spokesman and an advocate for the homeless. And I've been doing this for a long time. So, as a spokesman for the homeless, uh, I have to start out with this. I'm going to quote. The last time I spoke, I quoted a verse. Isaiah 3, 15. But I'm going to quote 14 and 15. Isaiah 14 and 15. And it goes like this. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. And what do you mean that you beat my people to, piece, to pieces and grind the faces of the poor? Which is what you're doing. And God doesn't like people that persecute homeless and poor people. And that's a quote right there from God telling you that how he feels about that. And I'd also like to, I, I, I meant to start it out with this quote. Peace and love to everyone, everywhere, and everything. Okay, so... You put up a signs down there on uh, Borchard Street. No parking between midnight and four. You guys know a guy named, um, oh, what's his name? Damien Minicucci. You know him? Do you guys know D Damien Minicucci? Well, he's the guy that got those signs put up. And he got those signs put up on lies. Because he went down there and instigated and started fights with people that lived in motorhomes and that were parking there, uh, uh, parking there. And he went down there and instigated, and they were parking there legally, by the way. He instigated fights, and you guys passed an ordinance and put those signs down there. I'm going to challenge you on that. I'm seeking legal action against you. Thank you. Next speaker is Glenn Overly, followed by Terry Foley, and our final speaker, Matt Bellow. Greetings, Council. The right of the public to provide comments and the time limits attached has always been important to me. The new 5 p.m. start time and recent meetings where formal items, speaking times were limited is concerning to me. Citizens elect city council members but do not give up their rights to provide public comment. The 5 p.m. start time will limit public input. Some formal meeting topics will always generate large number of public speakers. For example, the general plan meeting was extremely long, partially due to lack of planning, unrealistic timelines, and the expectations of a few council members our consultants and staff members. So much time was wasted trying to segment specific areas that were conflicts to individual council members 
so they could actually vote. These same council members will pontificate about life, employment, and meaningless historic rhetoric that consumes an enormous amount of time. Please clean up these council issues before limiting citizen speaking time. My compliments to the ARC committee who are working on this issue. Please review the ARC meeting videos to understand how collaboration works in the real world. Councilmember McReynolds facilitates a good meeting and understands the importance of citizen interaction. Not so long ago, citizens attempted to notify council about the abnormal spending patterns of our former city manager and some executive staff members. Councilmember Johnson championed this information, which led to the eventual removal of McIntyre, Kuhn, and others. Councilman Johnson was rewarded with his efforts by a witch hunt meeting where citizens throughout the city showed up to express their displeasure. Some council members were either asleep at the wheel or had personal relationships with McIntyre that did not allow them to be impartial and make informed decisions. This is why citizen input and open dialogue is so vital. To limit citizen communication on formal items is eroding the vital link and trust between local governments and its stakeholders. I want to close my comments with a shameless plug for Matt Bellow. I'm not a fan of the proposed parking structure which subsidizes developers who do not provide sufficient parking for their developments. Any parking structure should pay for itself or not be built. Please read Matt Bellow's email related to the parking structure before the next formal parking structure meeting. Very informative, Matt Bellow worked on this subject matter is well worth the read and I completely support it. Thank you for your time. Terry Foley, followed by our final speaker, Matt Bellow. Good evening, everybody. Happy New Year. So I'm now in, officially in my eighth year of speaking up here about these things. Uh, I'm Terry Foley. I'm uh, here on behalf of the Pierpont Bay Community Council and, the Pier and not officially, but the residents of Pierpont Bay. So for two things, number one is to thank the city for all the help that they gave, especially in coordination with County Fire for the, uh, for the emergency response to the, you know, to the flooding and that kind of thing. My home guy got off easy. Some people got hit really hard. But I know that everyone down there appreciated the work that was done. It was remarkable how they mobilized. And everybody was super friendly. The, the crews from County Fire were remarkable people. And then uh, the second thing, for, on behalf of the Pierpont Bay Community Council, we want to thank the City Council for the progress that was made during 2023 toward the updating of the short-term vacation rental ordinance. And I'm understanding that, that Dave Sapo's crew has been turned in, perhaps turned in their work. I don't know if they turned in their final work. But encouraging that when the, when the Council has its goal-setting meeting here within the next couple weeks to make that uh, finalization of working on top of Dave's work to do the update to that ordinance and get things where they should be. So, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. And our final speaker, Matt Bellow. I'll remind the public that our protocols um, would highlight applause on a nonverbal base, please. Thank you. Go ahead, okay. Uh, greetings, Mayor and the Council. 
and the city attorney and city manager, thank you for your responses. Um, I'm here to share my concerns about the, how the council is moving forward with the paid parking downtown and a possible parking structure. I'll make sure to keep my comments brief as I've already emailed you a very long 2,500 word, 15 point summary of my concerns. The consultant at the first parking workshop emphasized the necessity of a data-driven process and real community engagement. Yet the council has approved 887 new paid parking spaces aimed at generating revenue for potential loan obligations on a purportedly necessary parking structure having, without having a complete report to see what the current parking usage is. Remember, the consultant said you must prioritize reality, i.e. data over perception, i.e. comments from the community and speculations by staff. Additionally, while it may have been legally permissible to vote at 11 p.m. during a third workshop to approve this massive change in parking policy, it was not appropriate. You were advised to get the community involved, but instead, drastic policy decisions were made in the absence of hearing from your constituencies. You have a hard job and mistakes are made. You shouldn't be vilified for them, but you should be held accountable. I truly hope you slow down, recognize the faults in the process, and correct them. We're looking at a possible parking structure of, that will likely cost between $31 million to $40 million. Finance, that could be up to $80 million. Please take the time to look at this process seriously and come up with the right choice for Ventura. Thank you. That concludes public comment. Uh, Mr. City Manager, any comments? No comments. Okay, we'll move to the consent items. There are five consent items on our agenda tonight for consideration. Are there any questions, comments, or requests uh, or to have an item pulled? Councilmember Halter. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just have, um, I have a comment on item number two, but if I may, I'd like to give that comment after any public speakers. And then on item number four, I just have a question. Question on four, comment on two. Anybody else? Okay, um, do we have a public comments? Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have two speaker cards submitted for consent items. Our first speaker on item number two is Brian Brennan. Our second speaker is Mary Olson on item number four. Brian, you can go ahead and come up. Happy New Year. Uh, good evening, um, Mr. Mayor, uh, City Manager and Council. Thank you for the opportunity to speak this evening. And I wanted to um, commend the city manager for uh, recognizing the, um, the opportunity, I guess, some ways, to send a letter to the state and to declare a local emergency for the, for the storm that occurred on uh, December 28th through the 30th. I just want him here to sort of remind us that Generally speaking, um, we're going to see more of those, and they're going to be more, I want to say, abnormal occurrences, but they're going to be more of them. And I think the recognition that uh, we're a coastal community and how we adapt to that is very, very important, and how we 
look at our infrastructure and some of the things that are going on along there. It's not just the homeowners, but certainly there's stormwater, there's saltwater intrusion as sea level rises, the opportunities to lose water that we're now spending an awful lot of money to get. So I do recognize also that uh, the local, I was actually um, uh, happy to see the local editorial board of the Star send out that um, that editorial opinion piece the other day, just saying that the uh, local resident that captured that video really is maybe a wave that woke us up. Um, I, I, I've always said that uh, New York and the East Coast had their sort of reckoning back in 2012 when they had Superstorm Sandy. And if you look at what they're doing now, they have a lot of policies and things in place that said if we're going to rebuild, we need to do it differently. I know we haven't had our Superstorm Sandy, and I'm not praying for that because I think this storm sort of woke us up. I, was, I didn't get back in town until Friday. I was up on the Big Sur coast on Thursday seeing 40 to 60 foot waves that I've never seen on the California coast. I'm just saying it's just increasing. I'm not going I think there's lots of factors that contribute to that. Certainly climate change, other issues, but um, we've got to be prepared as a coastal city. So uh, there's two things I think we can do right now. Number one is get the sand management plan done and finished. I thought the berming had helped, but I think we could do that on a regular basis ahead of the chaos if we had our sand management plan finished. I know we're looking for a grant to do that. It doesn't take a lot of money. We've got some of that. The bones is 2007. We did this already. It just didn't get a lot of airtime, but it's there, and I think that'll help. The other part is you've got a $16 million grant for phase two of Surfers Point. That's not going to help us down. It might help us down in the Pierpont in recognizing that we can create living shorelines on our beaches to be able to help that the, both the homeowners, but as importantly, keep a beach so we have some place to recreate. Sorry to be so quick, and uh, just wanted to say, I'm going to. I was trying to be short so you get out of here by 9:30. So good luck with that tonight. Mary Olson on item number four. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Mary Olson. I'm currently president of Ventura Friends of the Library. And I would like to thank the Council for allocating the $1.4 million that will form part of the matching funds to allow the County Library to accept the Building Forward Grant from the State Library in order to do renovations to E.P. Foster Library which has been part of downtown since 1921, and the current building was built in 1959 and has inadequate um, HVAC, which causes closures sometimes in the summer, and problematical plumbing, which also has resulted in some temporary closures of the library. So the Friends of the Library are all looking forward to this renovation. We are, though, concerned about the paid parking situation and how that will affect uh, people who want to come to the library with seniors or library patrons and families with small children or library patrons. So that's another issue to deal with. But thank you for providing this funding in support of re renovation of E.P. Foster. That concludes public comment on consent items. 
Um, comment on number two, Councilmember Halter. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just wanted to back what Mr. Brennan was saying is that um, there's a lot of things we could do. We may not be able to control these emergencies, but we sure can prepare ourselves to better adapt to these emergencies. And uh, just uh, we spent a lot of time. One of the regional committees is Beacon, which is all about sand management and controlling from Point Conception down to Point Port Wainimi. And anything we could do to further um, our goal of sand management, having a sand, sand management plan and keeping as much sand on the beach as possible and preparing for situations like this that will continue to occur. I'm confident of that uh, we should be doing. So that's my comment. And I'm thankful that we have such an organization as Beacon that is region-wide addressing this. I will support this motion. And I think you had a question on number four. Yeah. And number four is just that I see that we're, um, uh, well, I'm always interested in leveraging funds, and this is a phenomenal opportunity, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I want to know the 551000 is that the BAM program that we're using the funds from? Thanks for the question, Councilmember Halter. Uh, no, that is a different program. The, the BAM uh, funding is unmolested by this program. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Other questions? I would like to recognize the Friends of the Library for the fantastic work that they do that goes unnoticed um, way too often. So uh, thank you for that. I'm open uh, for a motion on the consent items. Move to approve items one through five. Do I have a second? Second. Additional conversations? We're ready for a vote. Mr. Hey. City Clerk. We do have a motion and a second. Go ahead and enter your vote now on the consent items. We're waiting for one more vote to be entered. All votes have now been entered. Seven ayes and the motion carries. Thank you much, City Council. Uh, on to formal item number six, policy considerations, support of expanded and improve Medicare for all. This item was continued from December 18th of last year. I believe we have a presentation from Councilmember Campos. Thank you for putting up the slides. Um, I This item has been actually um, struggling to get onto the agenda since the middle of the summer or earlier. And maybe it was good. It gave us an opportunity to get more education under our belts about it. Um, one thing we need to understand is the universal payer health insurance system, which here we're calling improved Medicare for all, is not a national referendum, but it's a state program moving through our legislature now and um, individually, as a city, it can help affect the budget and the processes in the city of Ventura. The improved Medicare for All would guarantee that every city of Ventura resident is insured without premiums or deductibles or co-pays. It would erase the lower income and racial disparities in health insurance coverage taking a big step forward in protecting our residents from catastrophic cost increases in the current system. Um, I know people who have become homeless because of bankruptcies over 
catastrophic health problems and um, or surgeries that were required. Several nearby cities have passed this legislation, including Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, Goleto, San Luis Obispo, Los Angeles, and most recently, Ojai, last September. When the cities pass these resolutions, our lawmakers in Sacramento can see that their constituents support a fair and equitable system and cost savings from the expensive private insurance industry, which um, we've watched over the years change and possibly, um, we're told, gouge the customers. Um, it's said that the majority of American physicians now support and improved Medicare for All system, which also can be looked at as a sim single payer system. Our current for-profit system left 30 million Americans and 2,723,000 Californians uninsured before the COVID-19 pandemic. Many more are currently underinsured and our system treats healthcare as a market commodity available only to those who can pay the most. The city of Ventura spent $7,849,107 in medical and dental benefits for their employees for fiscal year 2021. As of May 22, when we began the process of this presentation, 87% of fiscal year 22, the city of Ventura spent $7,454,887 in benefits for their employees. I'm sorry for my um, uh, error in typing there. This represents 15% of the employee benefit fund spent by May 22nd. Healthcare is often at the top of the list of issues in collective bargaining for local government employees. The single payer system would cost Ventura and all local employers less in a payroll tax than they currently pay in insurance premiums. This would allow our local business owners to expand their businesses, pay their employees more, and encourage entrepreneurship in our city, freeing it from the need for health insurance tied to a job. This would end the risk of bankruptcy due to medical expenses. The skyrocketing cost of private insurance premiums for the city of Ventura's employees is a drain on our budget of the resources that we need to build a more resilient community. It drains money we could use to improve parks, plant more trees, clean up graffiti, restore our sidewalks, assist businesses, and repair parking infrastructure without charging the residents. These are just the few of the many reasons I encourage my fellow council members to pass a City of Ventura resolution in support of a universal single-payer health insurance system in our city, our county, and across California, just have been successfully done in Massachusetts and Hawaii. That's the end of my presentation. Thank you. Council comments or questions? Councilmember Johnson. 
Thank you, and, and I want to thank Councilmember Campos for for her um, for her presentation. Could you go to the second slide on it because that has some of the numbers that I want to highlight. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't we received a letter from Dr. Zwolak about how you know essentially 40% of our healthcare costs just go to administering things, and and Medicare has you know a tiny fraction of what they spend is on administering it. Um, and, and so when we look at how we're spending, you know, $8 million a year, it would save the city of Ventura a couple million dollars a year were this to pass. I, I will note on a personal note, you know, the letter we received from Dr. Zwolak mentioned how he has seen patients that present late in their disease course for some, you know, that is sometimes not treatable due to delay in care because of lack of insurance. As most of you know, my wife is a physician. She's an OBGYN. And she has had patients die because they did not get health care until their cancer had advanced to stage four. And, and it was simply a lack of health care. And so it's a huge drain on our community. It's a drain on our city budget. And I thank Councilmember Campos for um, this great presentation tonight. Thank you. Other questions, other comments from city council members? Mr. Halter. I just have uh, uh, some questions in regards to uh, what this would, do we have any idea of what the impact on costs for the state would be? There's one question, may I give you a few, is how does um, the Affordable Care Act, how, where is its limitations at this point in time when it guard, when it, in regards to providing insurance for those on very little to no income? And what else? Um, and the impact on the service providers. Um, will it restrict what service providers will be doing business in this state? And not the least, not the most important, but is the concern on, uh, we're already seeing, um, for instance, homeowners insurance disappearing from our state and being dependent solely on the state fund. How would this impact those who want to, want to pay for additional services through an insurance provider? Do, do you have any thoughts on those questions? So the single payer system would reduce the cost, for example, to the city of Ventura by about 80%. The Affordable Care Act is a nationwide program, and it's for the lowest incomes, but it does not include everybody. So a lot of unsheltered people fall out of the wayside of the Affordable Care Act. And children whose parents work two jobs make too much money to fall under the Affordable Care Act. And so there's a, a huge deficiency. From what I've read in all the letters we've received from physicians, and I think some may be here to speak tonight, um, they would be paid better under a single-payer system than they are today because of the division and divisiveness. The other thing is everybody who needs health care would get it. It wouldn't be dependent on um, a person in an insurance company making a decision about whether you need the cancer surgery or not, or whether you need the type of, of medications you take. 
And so all of, all of this, the state of Massachusetts did this several years ago. The state of Hawaii for a long time has been doing it. In the state of California, Contra Costa County has had a single-payer system for about 26 years or 30 years. And all of, they, all of those areas successfully save money and take good care of all their citizens and their physicians and the infrastructure. Thank you. Other questions? Councilmember Johnson. Thank you. I, I would just like to add that, you know, when you're looking at something like a single-payer system, um, people still have the option of having some sort of supplemental benefits. And so if they want to continue with uh, something like a PPO or there's a particular physician group that they really want to use that doesn't accept Medicare, they, they can absolutely do that. Uh, on a personal note, and I think I've spoken about this, um, my employment with the city disqualifies me from the Obamacare subsidy that I would normally get. And that is because the Affordable Care Act does not foresee somebody whose health insurance bill is higher than what they get paid each month. And so I am one of those people that, um, you know, I have to buy my insurance on the marketplace, and I do, but uh, the ACA, for all the wonderful things it has done, certainly has its limitations. I, I don't know if everybody saw Mary Lou Retton has had a GoFundMe. She was, she nearly died. She had some, some flu issue or pneumonia. And uh, people are like, why did you have to do GoFundMe? And she said, well, I, I can't afford insurance. Because she, uh, she had had 30 orthopedic surgeries as a result of her gymnastics career. And my wife, for example, um, she's able to get insurance. It would be very difficult because of her various pre-existing conditions. Uh, my wife is a cancer survivor. Um, she's disabled. Um, we're okay at the moment, but this is still a very real concern, and while we've made progress, there's still a long way to go. Thank you, Mayor. Other comments or questions? We'll go to public comments, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have three speakers on item number six. Our first speaker is uh, P. Fields, followed by Casey Rodriguez, followed by our final speaker, Dr. Leslie Lynn Pawson. Uh, yes, apologies. So we have P. Fields first, and then Dr. Leslie Lynn Pawson will have nine minutes. Thank you. Distinguished citizens, it is in your hands to make a difference. There are so many people in these uncertain times that are in desperate need for this Medicare for All. I'll cite you that uh, among the different counties that provide this very service we're seeking here for our city under the state sponsorship. Contra Costa County has its own program, single player, single payer. And it's very efficient. 
as a patient, you get to see all the specialists just by requesting it at the desk, making a phone call, etc. In our county, presently, you never get to see a specialist. I know people who have been waiting 10 years to get a specialist, and they never get it. And it's more cumbersome, more expensive, more inefficient. The only one that's making a profit, it's the health insurance carriers. For them, it is good business. But for most people, it is very difficult to afford it. Today, you may afford it. Tomorrow, something happens. You're jobless, whatever. Then you can't afford it. So we need this single-player system. This is our chance. This is the time for you to leave a legacy to people so that when someday you run into them, they'll tell you, thanks to you, I have this medical benefit of Medicare for all. And that, my friends, can never be forgotten, can never be purchased because it comes from the bottom of the heart of every citizen that's benefited with this. This is your chance for children, grandchildren, and the lower classes, for you to leave your footprints, for you to be proud of something good you have left to all the people, for your grandchildren in adversity to say, thank you, Grandpa, thank you, Mother, Thanks to you, when you were in city council, we got this benefit. It is now or it is never. Things are changed. The economy is going back. Worse here, worse there. We can only afford to have bread and medical care or work. This is your chance to be a constructive builder. This is your chance forever. If you dismiss your chance, tomorrow will be too little, too late. Thank you, sirs. Shalom. And our final speaker on item six is Dr. Leslie Lynn Pawson, who has been seated time by Dean Ryan and Casey Rodriguez. Dr. Pawson, you'll have nine minutes. Mayor Schrader and all council members, I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you again. My name is Dr. Leslie Lynn Pawson. I am a family physician. I have lived and worked in the city of Ventura for 35 years. I represent Physicians for Progress Ventura County, a group of more than 50 Ventura County doctors. I am the chair of the Ventura chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. I'm asking you to vote yes on item number six, endorse and pass a resolution in support of expanded and improved Medicare for all. The resolution states the following, be it resolved that the city of Ventura supports the concept of Medicare for all and calls on our federal and state legislators to work towards passage of a bill establishing a universal single payer Medicare for all type system at the federal and or state level. It asks that the City Council express support for a health insurance system that would provide all of us who live in Ventura with health insurance, irrespective of age, employment, race, socioeconomic status, degree of illness, or ability to pay. 
Everybody in, nobody out. That is all it asks of you. When cities pass supportive resolutions, as have Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, Goleta and Ojai, they signal to state and federal legislators that their voters support their actions in pursuit of universal health insurance that does not have profiteering insurance companies between them and their access to health care. I have written to you and spoken here in the last few months making the case for why this is the morally right path to take. I have illustrated with multiple examples from my years of caring for patients how our current health insurance mess hurts the residents of Ventura, resulting in the consequences of late treatment of disease. These include premature death, increased disability, poor health, and financial ruin. More than a dozen Ventura doctors and concerned city residents have written to you asking you to vote yes on item number six. Dr. Zach Zwolak, who Mr. Johnson mentioned, is one of them. Support of this resolution is also the financially right course to take. Single-payer skeptics often state, we can't do that. It's too expensive. That is simply not true. That is a bad faith or an uninformed attempt to discredit improved Medicare for all. We can't afford not to do it. I will start with a national perspective and proceed to how Ventura would benefit. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, analyzed 2022 data. The US spent 16.6% of its GDP on healthcare, by far the highest of all the OECD countries. Most of the wealthiest countries in the OECD spend between 10 and 12% and have better health outcomes. They did this while covering all of their citizens. 9% of Americans still have no health insurance despite the benefits of the Affordable Care Act, and 26% remain underinsured. We don't have good health outcomes for all that expenditure. We have the lowest life expectancy of all the wealthiest countries. The drop in life expectancy that the world experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic has reverted to pre-pandemic levels in all the other wealthy countries. The US has not rebounded like they have. What are we getting for all those dollars spent? Much of that money goes to the administrative costs and the profits of insurance companies. We are not getting our money's worth. A 2018 economic analysis at the University of Massachusetts concluded that the national health expenditures would be 11.9% less after 10 years of Medicare for all compared to business as usual. Utilization would go up as everyone would be covered, and yet costs would go down with massive savings from decreased administrative, administrative costs and lower drug prices. In 2021, the Makata Center of George Mason University concluded there would be a progressive yearly increase in savings in the 10 years following implementation of a single-payer Medicare for all system compared to the current trajectory. A 2020 review of 22 studies looking at the projected costs of a single-payer health insurance system in the US found 19 of those studies concluding it would cost less, an average of 17% less after 10 years. California could lead the nation. 
A provision in the Affordable Care Act allows states an avenue to act independently from the feds. California could obtain a waiver that would enable it to receive all of the federal health care dollars due California from the federal health insurance programs such as Medicare and Medicaid and others. California is as big or bigger than many of the OECD wealthy countries. California could insure all Californians at lower cost with a single-payer system. In the city of Ventura, 95% of households at Ventura would pay less in new taxes to finance universal health insurance than they currently pay in premiums plus deductibles plus co-pays. All of those would go away. No Ventura resident would go bankrupt for medical bills, leaving them to be productive, tax-paying residents. Ventura residents' health would improve with timely access to health care, leaving them able to participate in the city workforce. The city would no longer spend nearly 15% of the employee benefit fund on medical and dental benefits, leaving these funds to pay for other city services and projects. No more need for collective bargaining over health insurance. Improved Medicare for All would cost local employers less in a payroll tax than they currently pay in premiums. This would allow local business owners to expand their businesses and to pay their workers more. Ventura hospitals and healthcare professionals spend wasteful amounts of administrative overhead dealing with profit-seeking insurers. The U.S. government's accountability office shows traditional Medicare's administrative overhead is 2% while the insurance companies is 12.6%. That money could be spent on actual health care. Ventura residents would no longer inundate our ERs as their first point of contact for health care when they are finally so sick that they have no choice. Physicians and other health care providers would no longer waste time fighting insurance companies' denial of claims. They could spend that time on caring for their patients. Entrepreneurship in our city and career advancement for our residents would be encouraged because medical insurance would no longer be tied to a specific job. For all these reasons, and many more, I urge you to vote yes on number six. Thank you. And uh, one final speaker, Trevor Gotsman. Trevor, you should be able to unmute yourself. Okay, Trevor. Good evening, good evening, good evening, everybody. Excuse me for being late to the party, and I'm glad you got the link working, and thank you to our current speaker who's just spoken so concisely on why we need this. I encourage you to do it. As much as I don't know anything about it, I feel we all need to be informed or better informed as to how to take better care of our health. And the more we are in communication, and especially if it's not profit oriented. Um, and I think I'm, I'm with Kaiser and I chose Kaiser at the very beginning about 40 years ago because of their health maintenance organ, I think. But when it gets to specialty services, you really it's a, it's a challenge, and I think the more we combine our resources and work together, the better off we're going to all be. 
So I encourage you to look into it and um, inform the public and the community and see, because I feel we are all part of the solution. We all have skills and abilities, and it's part of what I've always been preaching is the, you know, the volunteerism and what you do in the City Council and what we're doing here tonight. So I just thank you all for doing it and keep going ahead, and I look forward to joining the party now. That concludes Thank public you. But that please, I... That, that concludes public comment on item number six. Thank you. Back to City Council deliberation. Uh, Mr. McReynolds. Yeah, I just, uh, in terms of, have you had conversations with either Assemblymember Bennett or Senator Lamone in terms of where they are with this? Yes. So last year, this was going, passing through the Assembly and the Senate. One of them passed, one of them was delayed and put over till this year. And both have told me that they support it. They're waiting for it to move on to the, through the Senate committees or through the committee process. Thank you. Other questions or issues? Mr. Halter? Yeah. Um, just in regards to uh, some of our world-renowned uh, research and cutting-edge facilities like UCLA, USC, Cedars, Stanford, um, what do we anticipate their response or would there be a response? Is there an impact to them? I believe that the physician who spoke here today works with the UCLA system at VCMC. And in our packets, there was a letter from a physician in LA County who works at USC and was supportive of this and gave a thorough analysis of the history of the process of what Medicare for All would mean or what a single-payer system would mean. Um, because of the huge cost savings administratively, no major healthcare organization or hospital should be adversely affected because the savings far outdo the cost of modernization. Uh, a couple other things is that um, uh, just in regards to um, the financing then, is say we do that, it, is, if it's single payer, does that mean there is no other options for, that everyone would basically be covered, but there's no other options, like if you wanted an additional coverage for special treatment for something that one of us may have, uh, um, or, would those do we in in Massachusetts and Hawaii do those still exist like Kaiser's and um, uh, some of the PPO type arrangements? Do they exist? There, there are private physicians in all of the regions that have single payer systems that are available for anyone who wants to expend the excess money. But there is it is also a system. A single payer system doesn't deny you medical needs or necessities. That doesn't happen in this type of system. 
because it's all set up for everyone to get proper care. Mm -hmm. And the cost is still lower than specialists who send you a bill outside of the emergency room, even though you were in the ER, and then the x-ray doctor sending another bill. That won't happen in a single-payer system. I, um, this has obviously been an issue that we've heard about for many years, most of our life, quite frankly. So it's very complex. And so I'm looking at um, things like, uh, for instance, workers' comp. If everybody had insurance, have they done any research or uh, brain, brain trust work on how would it impact um, workers' comp rates, for instance, which have gone through the roof, quite frankly. You know, so I'm wondering if there's an impact there that could be beneficial. I think that that's a very complex system separated from the medical care in the workers' comp system. There's a legal system that is part of what keeps the rates up. Mm. And workers' comp itself isn't a medical program or situation. That has to do with relationships between employees and employers about injuries and accidents on the job. So that's, I, I believe, not touched here. Okay, thank you. Uh, Council Member Johnson may be able to say more. Council Member Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, you know, certainly, for example, in Hawaii, a lot of people choose to have Kaiser, uh, and so that would continue to, to happen. Whether you're talking about UCLA, USC, um, or even right here at County, uh, a huge amount of what they do at the, at the hospital is dealing with billing. Um, anybody who, you know, I have to get a colonoscopy and then I have to spend a lot of time talking to the county because, well, I'm in the system and my doctor refers me for a colonoscopy. The, the place that does it, they work with an anesthesiologist who's not part of the network. And so then I have to explain, no, you know, I shouldn't have to pay out of pocket for anesthesia for this. I'm, and this is something that takes hours. I won that battle. <laughs> I, actually had to, I actually filed a grievance with the state to make sure that I, I would be able to get a colonoscopy and not have to pay out of pocket. So, you know, one of the things my wife does now is she, she is a doctor of informatics, and a big part of what she does has to do with medical records, and she spends a lot of her time on billing. Um, when somebody goes to get an appointment at the county, you know, they have to go through, well, what kind of insurance do you have? Is it an HMO? Is it a PPO? What are the terms on that? What is your copay for this? You know, you can be admitted into the county hospital, and they've made progress, but again, there are people that have been admitted to county, and then they get a bill because the surgeon is not covered under their their, their plan. And so one of the things that this would do is it would reduce costs all across the system. To answer more directly your question about workers' comp, it would affect workers' comp largely in that it would simply drive down the cost of medical care. But there, it would still never absolve an employer for their responsibility. And so employers would still need to have some work, there would still need to be workers' comp, and employers would still need to be able to do that because, you know, clearly you're a landscaper. If, if you hire some 14-year-old kid, I, I don't know if you saw the 22-year-old the, the man that died trimming a tree 
in Florida a couple days ago. Um, you know, when you have a terrible accident, you know, somebody, if somebody's at fault, then, then so, so it would drive down the cost. I hope that answers your question on, on workers' comp and how it would lower costs in general. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Campos. I, I also, um, I, I believe, uh, Councilmember Halter, you were asking about the, or you mentioned that we've been hearing about this for many, 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 many years. And there's been several attempts in our federal government to correct the health system. And over the years, although a single-payer system has been discussed, it hasn't happened. And I believe it hasn't happened primarily because of the lobbying of the health insurance system. It's, it's a big money, powerful lobby. And so if you can step outside of that lobbying and think about the possibility of a system that ensures every single American gets the care they need when they need it without the problems of an insurance company delaying or saying no until someone dies. That's what we're talking about, encouraging at the state level. Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, Councilmember Johnson, you had mentioned uh, if we have Kaiser, we can continue to have Kaiser. And so what, what benefit would one have staying with Kaiser if this were to pass? Well, you know, Kaiser, for example, is, it's, a, it's its own ecosystem, right? It's, it's all Kaiser. Now, of course, we here, unfortunately, we don't have a hospital. And so it's a little different here in the county because if you need to go to a hospital, um, if you're not going to go out to Woodland Hills, they'll put you in Community Memorial Hospital. For the most part, Kaiser is the one-stop shop. You're getting, you get your pills there, you see all your specialists through Kaiser, and that's attractive to some people. But what, what this would do, it would, not, um, it would not shutter any existing HMO or PPO. They may just, they may not be able to continue in business because people are no longer willing to pay for it. I know, um, I, I think we would probably pay for supplemental insurance, but uh, Kaiser, for example, continues to operate and do very successfully in Hawaii. I know that much. So a me Medicare for all passing, um, if someone was on Kaiser, there would be no, they, they would just pay out of pocket. They, would get, they wouldn't benefit from Medicare for all. Correct financially, they wouldn't benefit. They wouldn't benefit. It would depend on it would depend on how Kaiser structured what they were offering and what they were charging for it. But if somebody didn't want to pay, you know, my family of three, we pay about. Say I'm like eight hundred. My wife's a thousand, and then we have our son. You know, twenty four hundred a month for health care. Um, some people may choose uh, not not to pay that twenty four hundred a month. Sure. Yeah. So, and then they would get absolutely. But if they wanted to stay with Kaiser, there's no financial benefit to them through this program. I don't believe it would off, offer a subsidy. That, that's, that's, what you mean. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Right. Um, Councilmember Campos, you had mentioned 
uh, you know, this would really help the homeless population and so on. I, I don't know, you know, this is what I do for a, a living is I, I help people get into transitional livings and, and uh, maternity homes and I work with the homeless population all the time. I don't, I don't know one homeless person or somebody that is unhoused that doesn't already have Medi-Cal. And so I, I'm not really sure what the difference would be for somebody of low income. I know many homeless people who do not have Medi-Cal. Um, I think we, we just meet different parts of that population in our daily lives. Um, your work is very focused and you do meet probably more unsheltered people than I do. It's not just the unsheltered population, it's the population living below the poverty level. Absolutely, I, and, and I recognize that, and that was, that was the reason I asked that, because I do have uh, family members that work at uh, particular hospitals here in Ventura, and when someone comes in that's not homeless, and they are low income, and there's an emergency that takes place, and they, they may not have insurance or they're underinsured, her job is to make sure they get uh, emergency Medi-Cal immediately so they don't have to cover those costs. So th this is where I'm a little bit confused in regards to, it seems like we have this in place right now for low income or very low income, or even in some cases, um, a little above low income. Um, so I I'm wondering why the push for this? There's a couple of points. One is all across the country, but particularly in California, there are people who have no health insurance or less health insurance than they need. So that's one thing. One thing is that if we have a single payer system, there is no more insurance company rejecting people's requests to see a specialist or a doctor's request to do an emergency surgery and have a person either lay in the hospital for a few days or not be able to get the care they need to the point at which their health is catastrophically damaged. The other thing is, today we're not saying we're changing the city of Ventura to a, a Medicare for all system. What we're saying is we support the processes the state is doing to take the option to do a single payer system. Thank you for that clarification, I appreciate that. One of the things that was mentioned earlier, you, you had mentioned earlier that the medical field, the medical professions, the doctors, whatever, are gonna make more now. You had mentioned it's better for them that they're gonna, they're gonna make more and everybody's gonna pay less. Mathematically, I just don't understand how it, how it maps out. For me, I would need a financial analysis to support this. Like, I, like that, that's amazing, really. <laughs> medical professionals get paid more, we pay less. It's, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd really like to see this whole study before I could support something like that financially. So if, if a parent on the lowest amount of Medi-Cal that they get through the Affordable Care Act takes their child to the doctor and they have to have x-rays and they have to put a cast on, many things happen, the amount of money they get from that affordable CARE Act Medi-Cal may be only 35 or $40, the payment to the doctor. But the insurance company and the billing employees at the hospital and the time the doctor has to spend justifying 
putting a cast on a broken arm or leg is where the costs get very high to the insurance companies. If there's no insurance companies involved, if there was, is one person doing all the payments, that takes away all that extraneous payment. The, the bill goes, the doctor's bill goes to the state or the county, wherever that payment system is set up, and the payment goes out. So we're paying less because we're not paying the overhead of all those employees doing the billing, calculating the cost, identifying the codes, and the doctor gets paid appropriately, not exorbitant fees, but appropriately, which they're not getting now many, in many cases. Does that help at all? Yes. Councilmember McReynolds. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, so in generally, I'm extremely in favor of the concept. I mean, I think uh, our system is broken. I don't think there's anybody here defending the system, the way it works. I mean, uh, it's been, you know, I, I always talk about issues of our generation or, you know, and I, I believe that this is, is one of one of them. And uh, I think the Affordable Care Act went a long way into resolving a lot of the issues. It didn't go far enough in some areas uh, and will continue to be revised and updated. We have employee associations that we represent. I, I don't know where they stand on any of this in, in terms of that. It, it, I just feel like this is premature at this point. I mean, I think we need to go here. This is what we need to be doing as a society, as a state, as the federal government. I don't know if the city of Ventura is the one that should be leading this charge um, on it. That's kind of where I, it, it's starting to move into what I would almost call scope creep, where this is outside of our, what we are charged to do by the residents of the city of Ventura. Do I believe it would be cheaper? 100%. Do I believe it would be a better system? 100%. Uh, I, I personally support this, but as a jurisdiction, I, I have a, an issue that we're, we're moving into areas that are outside of our purview as the city of Ventura. And I think, you know, somewhat we need to stay in our lanes. And I think we can support, you know, individually, you know, efforts like this. Uh, I, I would have no problem sending a letter to Assemblymember Bennett and Senator Lamone saying, you know, personally, I'm in favor of this. I think this is where we need to be going. But as the jurisdiction, as the city, I, I kind of have a problem with that. And it's kind of where I'm at at this point. So thank you. Deputy Mayor Sanchez Palacios. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. And I think going off of what Councilmember uh, McReynolds just shared, uh, I think for me, um, working at the state and looking at the many, many thousands of bills that go through the state. Um, my concern, absolutely, I believe that health, our healthcare system is broken. Um, it's not working for those who need it the most. Um, my concern is we are a bit premature in that when we, even in concept, when we go into supporting or not supporting um, certain bills, the legislature just went back to session um, last week. <laughs> um, and so I, I feel like we're, we don't even know what the bill is going to end up with, you know, having or not having, including or not including. Um, 
And, and my concern would be that, uh, yes, we support it in concept, but we end up with something that's still not going to work for the people who need it. Um, and, and for me, again, I, I think it's great that we're spending time um, amongst each other uh, looking at state level, federal level issues. Um, I, I would really like to focus on our city and, and what we need to do um, for the residents at the city level, because that's what we're here to do. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the cost, um, would it be more beneficial to go single payer or not? Currently, the state faces a $68 billion deficit um, already, so we're starting as a state in the negative, in the red. And to bring this that's going to cost, I think they've quoted almost $400 billion um, to implement, I, I just don't know that it's, it's the right way to go. Absolutely, we need to fix our healthcare system and absolutely it's broken, but I just don't know that this is the answer. Um, and I just, I, for me right now, I, I would not be able to support um, this policy consideration for those reasons, but I, I am 100% behind that we need to fix our, our healthcare system and, and we need to do something about it. Um, unfortunately, we as a body can't do anything about it. Um, and so for that, I, I'm not going to be able to support this. Thank you. Um, I haven't said anything yet. So um, I'm kind of where uh, the deputy mayor and Mr. McReynolds are, where um, philosophically I support this. I, I am worried that it's a little premature, and I'm worried about uh, mission creep. Uh, I look at some other cities that are talking and taking stands on um, the war between Ukraine and Russia and the Palestinian and Israeli war, and, and I'm, I don't think I was elected to deal with those national, international issues. Um, um, I w would, I just, I struggle with, with the mission creep, although I will agree with you uh, that the system that we have is broken, and I think this is an alternative. Uh, I, I just think that we need to kind of stick to our knitting uh, on a city basis. Thank you. <coughs> yes. Oh, and Liz. Mr. Halter. I think Ms. Campos was oh, trying please. to say something as well first. Um, I, I do want to say, I think that as elected officials, as officials who were elected to care for our community, and the fact that we're not making a decision ourselves to start this system, we're letting the state know that our, our residents and we ourselves support it. I don't think it's outside the purview of city councils. It's not national, it's not international, it's not a divisive issue, really. Everybody needs care. And so that's why I encourage that we pass it. Uh, uh, there, uh, Mr. Halter? Yes, please, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I just wanted to uh, say a couple things is that what resonates with me more than anything is um, efficiency and getting rid of, rid of bureaucracy. Um, what also uh, is important, though, to me is choice, having a choice, um, and, 
and quality, making sure we continue to offer some of the world-renowned um, medical care that the state has been known to create and offer. Um, I look at things like Kaiser, having lived most of my life under a dark cloud and have a point in my life where I had private insurance, a point where I had Medicare, thinking that my time was weeks or months away to about 15 years without insurance, and then thankfully for the Affordable Care Act, once again, as a pre-existing illness, I was able to get insurance, uh, which was phenomenal, because my only choice before that was negotiating with doctors, okay? So we've come a long way, and I think our state has led the charge at coming a long way. <laughs> and I do tend to look at what Council, Council Member McReynolds is saying, because I thoroughly support having a, a, a single-payer system as long as people have choices. Like on Medicare, you have uh, uh, PPOs would take Medicare. Um, or certain doctors' offices would take Medicare. Uh, I currently have Kaiser, which 30 years ago was not something good. And I got to tell you, it's probably the best care I've ever had. And it's unbelievable, the system that they've created. I'm not quite sure I have the confidence that our government can do better <laughs> on that. So if it's about government running it, I have an issue, you know? Um, so I think Councilmember McReynolds said it pretty thoroughly as far as um, seeing where we are with the state process and what they're recommending. And then with our council member, um, uh, Dr. Sanchez Palacio said as well about mission creep. Uh, concerns me because there are so many issues today. And I recognize what you say as well, Councilmember uh, Ms. Campos, Camp is um, that everything's local. Every issue is local. But in the same token, we have so much on our table to address at this point. And I, I see a lot of questions having experienced so many different medical care and lack of medical care in my life that yes, I want everyone to have medical care, but I still have a lot of questions on how that's gonna actually work and how it's gonna be paid for. And Councilmember Duran said that as well, as far as it's great if doctors get paid more and it costs all of us a lot less. So I, I'm just, I'm really betwixt and between on this one. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I, I certainly think we know where, where this is going to go. I, I'm saddened, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. I, I will note for this talk of mission creep that this would hardly be the first time we've done something like this. I believe you had a policy consideration about trees at Pine Mountain. Pine Mountain. Yeah, and then uh, we went through a thing where we decided that we needed to lobby the state that, that we should be able to add more card rooms if we felt like it. And so these are other items that we have taken up and you know, if this is mission creep, then those were as well. Um, I do think it raises a critical issue that this council should consider. Um, we once upon a time had a legislative committee that focused not really on, on protocols, but on these issues. And we don't have that. And um, especially since we decided to meet only twice a month, um, we, we if, if, if we are concerned about mission creep, we probably should consider protocol amendments um, on these issues. 
but we don't have them, and this, there's a lot of precedent for this. But so I, I hope we can get to a vote soon because I'm not feeling so good. Thank you, Mayor. So if I may make one more statement. And then Please. I'll... So I just want to give you my anecdotal evidence from having lived for 21 years in a county that had a single-payer system. I would go to the county hospital, and I might be sitting in the waiting room with the CEO of a bank or the CEO of the county or another doctor who had fallen ill and was there for treatment. Everybody was treated equally. Everybody got whatever they wanted. And that county spent not tons and millions of dollars on health care. All the businesses in the county got their health care through the system. When there were emergencies, everybody was taken care of. The city of Richmond is in that county where the, the refinery had many blowouts and many people had respiratory injuries. Didn't matter where they were from or who they were, they got full coverage that way. And so I, I do encourage you to think more positively about what a single-payer system can do. Thank you. If there's no other comments, uh, I'll entertain a, a motion. Mayor, I would move uh, our recommendation. Do I have a second? Second. Any other discussion? Let's take the vote, Mr. City Clerk. Okay, we do have a motion and a second to approve the recommendation. You can enter your vote now on item six. All votes have been entered. Two ayes, five noes, and the motion fails. Um, thank you for bringing up the policy consideration and doctors, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be the last time we see you, and that, that'll be a good thing. Um, on to um, item number seven, second reading, an ordinance of the City Council of the City of San Buenaventura authorizing an amendment to the contract between the Council of the City of San Buenaventura and the Board of Administration of the Public Employees Retirement System. Ms. Keys, I think... Well, sorry. Oh, we have a staff presentation. Good evening, Mayor Schrader and City Council. On December 4th, 2023, Council approved a resolution of intention to amend the City's CalPERS contract and perform the first reading of the related ordinance. This evening, the second reading of the ordinance will occur, and it is recommended that the Council adopt the ordinance authorizing the CalPERS cost-sharing contract amendment for police-sworn classic employees. As you will recall from the December 4th meeting, the current MOUs between the City and the Ventura Police Officers and Police Management Associations have a provision that classic CalPERS members, those hired into qualifying public service prior to January 1st, 2013, uh, pay 4.5% of the city's share of retirement costs. This amendment to the uh, city's CalPERS contract will formalize this cost-sharing arrangement so that the full 4.5% that employees are paying will be credited to members' CalPERS accounts. There is no cost to the city for this contract amendment. The contract change would simply credit the employee's CalPERS account versus the city's account 
for the full 4.5% cost share that employees have been paying. This concludes the staff report, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Questions? So, if I understand this, so the 4.5%, uh, we're going to identify that under the employer account, under the employer portion, correct? That's and, correct. And before it was split between employee and employer? Uh, well, up until July 1st of 2020, it had been credited to the employee's account. Um, but the uh, CalPERS uh, contract had a uh, maximum period of time at the time that that could occur. That's been removed. So we're going to be, uh, we're requesting that we go back to um, how it was for years um, all the way up to the July 1st, 2020 change. Thank you. Any other questions? Public comments, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker card on item number seven, P. Fields. I know very distinguished officers. I know their hard work. And I know each one of you will unanimous vote as a block to approve this. This is a good plan. And the city is not broke. The city can afford it. It's wise, it's fair, it's just, it's transparent. This is worth your vote. Go, go, go. Go City Council. Go VPD. Vote for it unanimously. Thank you. Shalom. That concludes public comment on item seven. Back to council deliberations. Do I have any? I'm open to a motion. So move to approve staff's recommendation. Move to move move to to support staff's recommendation. Do I have a second? Second. I do have a second. Further discussions? We're ready to vote, please. Do you have a motion and a second to approve the staff recommendation on item seven? Go ahead and enter your vote. All votes have now been entered. Seven ayes, and the motion carries. Thank you much. Item number. Item number eight, general services agreement, second amendment with Helic Heavy Construction Company for Ventura Pier Emergency Repairs. Uh, Mr. Shea I think your staff presentation, is that correct? Proceed ahead when you're ready. Good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor. City Council, for the record, my name is Peter Shade, and I'm the uh, Acting Public Works Director. 
So tonight we are here before you to present a contract amendment, um, contract amendment with Jilk Heavy Construction for the Ventura Pier Emergency Repairs. I am joined here tonight by our Deputy Public Works uh, Director of Operations, Mary Joyce Ivers, and Barbara McCormick, our Fleet and Facilities Manager. And I will turn it now over to Mary Joyce to take us through the beginning of the presentation. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Tonight, we wanted to give you a little history on the Ventura Pier and talk about the recent damages that we received with the winter storms. The historic Ventura Pier was originally constructed in 1872. This historic site, which was once the longest wooden pier in California at 1,958 feet. The Ventura Pier is a favorite attraction to our community and visitors for fishing, picnics, sunset strolls, and beautiful views of Ventura County's coastline and the Channel Islands. It has survived millions of cycles of sea and swells and more energetic winter storm events. Unfortunately, as we know, these events occurred last year, loosening the connections and physical damage to the structural mem members, which was experienced this past two winters. So I want to give you a little history of how the pier is um, built and constructed. On the right, you can see what our pier looks like, um, and on the left is a drawing. So the, it's built, it's 1,620 feet long. We have 271 timber piles, which are holding up the pier, and at the um, outward end of the ocean is a steel area that has 92 steel piles. It's built in what's called a bent, which is a row of timber piles that provides that load and structure for it that's attached to the pile cap, and then the boards or stringers that go across from land to the sea is what holds up the deck and the handrails. And part of that too is you can see the cross bracing and the hardware and such that holds it all together to build one structural component to provide the load that we need and the structure to hold up. So if any of those become loose or damaged, we lose the structural integrity of the pier. And yes, through the years it survived, and in the last 30 years, um, we have lost over 300 piles. Ha almost half of that was due in the December 1995 when we lost 423 feet of the end of the pier, which is in the picture on the right. You can see what's missing. After that, um, the community, through our nonprofit Pier Into the Future, as well as the city and grants had rebuilt the pier with the steel end. But through the years, We've lost um, the timber piles. About 50% of them have been replaced in the past 30 years. And with the type of pier we have and the type of um, westward-facing ocean and tides we have, that is expected. As, and we do annual inspections every year as prevention to see if we can fix some of the hardware of the piles. But we do lose them when we get those heavy forces of the storms and pilings. So I'll turn it over to Ms. McCormick to talk about our recent damage and repairs. Mayor Schrader, council members, during the January 2023 storm events, the pier was seriously damaged. The bulk of the damage was caused by the debris that was in the water that washed down the Ventura River after the heavy rain. Damage inspections were conducted and the city's on-call pier emergency repair contractor, Jilk Heavy Construction, performed emergency stabilization of the pier to replace eight damaged pile and missing, uh, several missing braces and hardware. During this time, meetings with FEMA began, 
and we were, we were learning of the requirements for federal funding reimbursement. FEMA allowed for emergency stabilization of the pier to prevent further damage under our emergency purchase order with Jilk Heavy Construction, but required us to competitively bid a contract specifically for the remaining repairs. In May, an agreement was executed for the design of the repairs, and we began work on preparing the plans and specifications for bidding the repairs for the additional eight pile and 52 timber and or pipe bracing. In October of last year, proposals were solicited for repairs and a contract was awarded on December 4th to Cushman Contracting Corporation. Cushman mobilized the week of December 18th and drove one pile on December 26th before pulling off the pier and preparation of the high surf and high tides that were um, per, uh, forecasted beginning on December 28th. The forecast, uh, forecasted waves were 15 to 18 feet with 20-foot swells and 6-foot high tides. On December 8th, the pier sustained significantly more damage than during the storm events in the previous January. That morning, Jilk Heavy Construction, who holds our current on-call emergency repairs and maintenance contract was called to assess the damage. Jilk was not able to safely access the pier to perform an assessment from the deck that day, but from the, the shore, it was obvious that we were losing pile and bracing. The following day, Jilk worked all day to install cable bracing to shore up the most critical section of the deck. The concern was that with all the missing pile, the deck would begin to sag and be susceptible to significant damage during the high surf and high tides forecasted for the following day. Jilk also removed two pile that had become loose and were in danger of breaking free and possibly causing more damage to the pier. On December 30th, city staff and Jilk watched the pier throughout the peak of the high tide. The emergency stabilization implemented the day before successfully prevented the deck from failing. However, four to five additional piles became loose that day. On January 2nd, city staff and Jilk performed an inspection of the pier from aboard the Harbor Master's boat, where we identified 19 missing or damaged pile, 20 dislodged pile, which can be pulled back into place, and 60 damaged or missing bracing. This is in addition to the damage of the January storms the previous year. On January 5th, Jilk mobilized their large crane and performed other stabilization efforts. On January 8th, Jilk began an underwater inspection of the pier and today they began driving pile. This is a summary of the timeline of events. We're here today requesting an amendment to the general services agreement with Jilk Heavy Construction to complete the repairs for the damage sustained in December. If we move forward with that, we are anticipating reopening the pier in the summer of this year. If repairs are not completed, the pier is likely to, to be subjected to further damage, possibly loss of sections of the deck, as the weight of the structural normally borne by the missing and um, pile and braces is now overstressing other remaining pile and bracing. So we're gonna go over some of the costs that we have incurred and that are proposed for your consideration. So with the January storm and damage that Ms. McCormick went over, the totals was about 1.4 million. And with the anticipated reimbursement from FEMA as well as the state, we anticipate the city shared to be about six, almost $65,000.
So this second amendment that we have in front of you for the contract amendment for emergency repairs to Jilk, the estimate for these repairs is $1,750,000. We already have a contract with them for $300,000, so we're asking for the contract amendment to add another $1,450,000. And through that, we've identified, working with finance, identified available appropriations and funding to help with these costs. And in addition, with the Peer into the Future group, the nonprofit that you recognized last month for their 30 years of fundraising, with the Ventura County Community Foundation Ventura Peer Fund that they've raised over a million dollars, we were able to take the interest earning distribution out with um, almost 229,000 at this time to offset this, which is the purpose of that fund as well. And so in total for last year's events, which was um, very, um, unusual to have the two events in the same year and the cost totaled 3.2 million and with the anticipated reimbursement and the interest earnings from the fund the city could have to fund 1.5 million but we are in discussion as of today working with the county and state and there is potential that we could apply for some based on your emergency declaration we could apply for some more reimbursement but at this time, we don't know if that's guaranteed or not, but we're working towards that. So with that, tonight, we're, uh, staff recommendation is in the staff report, but we're recommending that you approve the second amendment to the agreement with Joe Kevy Construction to continue making these repairs. And the total for the contract in total would be 1.9 million, with that does include the contingency of $175,000. And we appreciate you listening to this presentation on our beloved Ventura Pier, and we are all available for questions. Thank you. Council questions? <clears throat> Mr. McReynolds. Um, I just have one quick question. Uh, I was looking online. So we've got a king tide coming up in the next couple days here on the 11th and 12th, and then again on February 9th. Does that affect, do, does that expect it to affect the pier, and do we need to wait uh, Councilmember McReynolds, uh, looking at the, the high tide and the, and the surf, it's nothing like the event that we had last week. The high tide is about six foot high tide with the surf, um, about five feet. So it's considerably less than what we had. And we are working towards, um, as today we drove one pile, tomorrow we'll drive two others. So we're working towards stabilizing even more. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question. And the number of piles that we lost, was it 19? That's correct. Have we located the 19? I know where a couple that's of them are. next steps. <laughs> Did we That'll be the next steps to remove those pile off the beach. Okay, and are all of them on the beach or are some of them in the ocean? I have not counted them yet. So some of them could be further away from the city of Ventura. Yeah, I can understand why you would want emergency repairs because if one of those piles broke, well, when they break free, if they hit another pile or two, um, that's kind of a worst case scenario, isn't it? Mayor Schrader, that's what we were seeing on the 28th that Thursday, where a pile broke free and was leaning up against another pile and just kind of served as a battering ram and knocked that other pile free. Do you so, know what one of those piles weighs? I do not know how much they weigh, but I can find out. Uh, a lot is I know that very good uh, Mr. City Manager I knew there was a reason we hired you you could figure those things out right off the top of your head 
How long is a pile and how deep is it buried normally? Mayor Schrader, the piles start out about 70 feet and they're driven to about 20 feet into the earth and then they're cut off at the height of the pier. And are they, are they put into a bed of concrete at all or? Are they no, they are not. They're driven straight into the soil. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I, I appreciate that we will uh, do what we can to pursue funding from the state. I, I am going to assume that, that we will not be getting that money. And so when we look at where the money would come from, if we go to slide 11, please. Um, what, what are we under investment plan general, measure O, and facilities fund? Um, what are we looking at cutting on, on how we had intended to spend that money. I believe it's in the staff report, but I don't have a copy of the staff report. Um, so yeah, if we can have our CFO uh, come up and, and talk about that. I know that, uh, that he worked diligent, diligently to find the money for these repairs. Council members, I'm sorry, would you repeat the question? So when we look at um, the possibility that we've got to find the, to take the 743,000 out of the investment plan in particular, um, but also the 800,000 out of the facilities fund, what had this money, what is, it, what is that money currently earmarked for? The $743,000 is, is a portion of the original investment plan that was approved by the city council in the spring of 2021. Uh, that category of investment fund was for city hall repairs, and more than half of it has already been um, dedicated. For example, we dedicated $516,000 of that to uh, 88 upgrades here. This is the amount that uh, was left over in that um, portion of the investment fund that there has not been a specific project materialized for it. For, so we're requesting to transfer it over to repair the pier. The, uh, the facilities fund $816,000, that's not money that's currently budgeted. It's not money that's currently uh, supporting this year's operational expenses nor next year's operational expenses. It's money that through cash flow forecasting, we have determined that might be available. It, it is available over the next two years to be able to budget and use for these repairs. Thank you so much and thank you, Mr. Morley, for sure. working diligently to, to get the money on this. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, on a follow-up, if I can, to, uh, and then I'll go to Councilmember Campos. Uh, I want to make sure that um, the ADA um, requirements in this building we're going after, and this isn't substituting one for the other. So we're not going to. No, not at, not at all. The uh, the presentation that uh, Director Nelson did a couple of months ago, where we uh, proposed a five hundred sixteen thousand dollar repair ADA repair, that's that was part of the original total city hall repair, and that plus this are both within that fund. Thank you, Councilmember Campos. So are we just continuing each year to repair the pier and not upgrade the possibility of larger and larger events battering it every year? I realize it's a historic pier and so you don't want to make major changes to it. 
However, the major changes to the storm systems we're confronted with and the height of the waves and the force against the pier would ask that we do make some serious changes in the way we're repairing it. Is that included in this year's repairs? So, uh, no, this is not including uh, uh, improvements beyond what it was originally designed and constructed to um, over the last 30 years. Um, understanding that, that, yeah, we are seeing changes to our, um, in our ocean and that, that precipitates waves. Um, this is not a new problem in the sense that we've seen, as, as um, Mary Joyce Ivers has, has mentioned, we've seen the pier damaged uh, periodically from year to year. And so um, um, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but like, like your, the roof of a house, you know, this pier, the pier is going to get damaged, get old, old and weathered, and, and these piles will need to be replaced from time to time. Contrary to, to, to a house or maybe your, your car, we, we typically do not replace piers proactively before they're damaged, but we wait till they're damaged, and we then identify which piles are the weakest, and, and then, then that work is done at that time. Um, I, noted, I would note that, that the piles at the end of the pier, the, the, um, the steel piles, are uh, performing better than the wood piles are. Um, and and um, uh, Ms. McCormick could describe the cost, but it's, it, it's, it, we cannot replace them with a, a steel pile with where a wood pile was removed. We would need to go through a design process and, and do a large section. And, and maybe, um, Ms. McCormick, you can describe what that cost implication could be. Councilmember Compost, the rough order of magnitude to replace one row of pile is with steel is approximately $450,000. That's one row. To replace the entire pier with steel would be somewhere in the vicinity of 30 to $40 million. And that's just a rough order of magnitude. That's not including design costs and, and other soft costs that we might have. And the pile, if we were to look at just a section of the pier and replace a section in steel, it's not as, as easy as just replacing in the same footprint. It cannot, it cannot sit in the same footprint. So we would have some offset sections. So it's not a simple, let's just do this in steel now. It, it would have to take a full design in order to get that completed. So over the, over the next 10 or 15 years, spending this amount of money here, and of course we know it'll increase gradually, um, may be the same as doing the larger pro process, and the larger process would protect the pier more. As, as we approach bigger and bigger climactic events, because of the changes in the ocean and the changes in everything going on in the world um, geologically, we may need to consider taking that step now. So that's what I meant by a proactive evaluation of what we're up against. Um, we already, we've already been told at several levels that we need to start pulling back from the ocean. And there are only 
two or three truly historic peers remaining in California, ours being one of them. But in order to protect it, we need to look at the options. So is anything being done now to look at that? Do you have people talking about it or any ideas or plans? Or are we just gonna do this year after year, this amount of money? We, we don't currently have a capital improvement uh, project to replace the wood piles with steel piles. Uh, but, but if your council would recommend, and, and I'll, I'll note that, um, uh, that we will be bringing forth the capital improvement program to your council um, in, in the next uh, few uh, council meetings. But if, if you'd like to add that as a project, I don't know where the funding to do that, um, uh, the, the, the larger project of replacing the pier would come from, but, but we certainly would do so. Thank you all. Councilmember Duran. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much for your presentation. I just have one quick question. I want to confirm, you said that if this was approved tonight, that the pier would open up probably in, in the summer? Councilmember Duran, that's what we anticipate. If we can move forward with the repairs now, that's, that's the timeline. I'm just so looking. excited about that. That's wonderful news. Thank you. Other questions? Public comments? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have two speakers on item number eight. Our first speaker is P. Fields. Our second speaker is Spencer Norin. Distinguished councilmen, councilwomen, distinguished VPD, distinguished citizens, people romanticize our peer, but not of romanticism only shall we live. But survive, we must talk of hard reality. For two centuries, gas men have increased oil gas, which is causing these irreversible consequences, threatening us with extinction. Oil gas has caused irreversible climate catastrophe now approaching our door. The evidence are the coral sea, the plankton, and forests are being destroyed and dying. So we'll be choking for lack of oxygen. And uh, from now on, these are the consequences due to the heat waves, climate fires, sudden heavy flash floods, king tides, sea quakes, earthquakes, the jet streams, which the weather stabilizer is almost dead. The glaciers are melting to death. The Arctic and Antarctic poles are dying irreversibly. And it will cause in the next five years over 30 feet of sea level rise. So we have to adapt and give up our romantic peer and comply with state mandated tide retreat law by giving away, by going away from the beaches. Some owners are irresponsibly misguided. They would like to see subsidies, subsidizing their houses, the pier, etc., etc. We just seen the king tides. They destroyed eight houses and almost buried a fire engine. 
It's nonsense to keep throwing billions to existing to, to the about to be extinct peers and beach houses. We cannot be resilient to death by king tides because we cannot mitigate death. If anybody insists in continuing with these contracts, increasing money, etc., they gotta do it at their own cost, with their own money, at their own peril, not with city taxpayers' money. If anybody insists in losing continuous war policies, must pay with their corporate pocket because taxpayers' money for peers is not enough. As a child, I was traumatized by King Tides having flood parts of the Netherlands. It's foolish to fight Mother Nature and encroaching the seas with beach houses and piers. They're going to be you. washed away islands too. Thank you. Spencer Norton. Thank you, Michael. Oh, Mayor, Council, VPD, and Translation, thank you. I want to fully support this project and the hard work going on. I do miss Mr. Nelson already, but that being said, seeing the pier being upgraded today was fantastic. I had a chance to walk on the pier today, seeing the pilings dropped off, seemingly new coated. There was new wood being sawed and worked on down there. Something our community has been waiting for over a year to see that. If it took another storm to kind of knock off some more pilings and get the momentum moving, I love it. I appreciate that. Also, Mr. Morley, for finding the money to get it approved. Completely in favor of this, totally. As soon as we can possibly get it done, thank you. That concludes public comment on item eight. Council deliberations. Um, I do have uh, one comment kind of um, along Councilmember Campos. Um, and, and we don't have to make the decision tonight, but I think it's a decision that we should talk about, perhaps some kind of a, a study, a plan about is, is there a way for us over a period of years to improve the design from a strength standpoint? Uh, and, and I know it scares me to spend $30 million uh, supporting the peer, but I was just wondering if you could come back at some time, if, if there's others who would like that too, to say, here's our options in the future without spending 30 million, and here's maybe some design changes. Uh, um, the closest I got to engineering was I took a couple classes in the engineering building, so you're, you're obviously gonna have to get some, some talent to do that, but I, I think we might wanna take a look at, you know, um, and it's not an A priority, but it's a priority where you take a look like, because I don't think there's anybody here who thinks we're going to see fewer of these storms. Um, so that, that's just kind of my thought. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I, um, I really want to thank staff for all their work on this and as well our partners. Um, you, you know, to be able to respond so quickly, especially with the emergency stabilization. I'm sure um, if we hadn't had the right team in place, we could have been looking at uh, a loss of the pier. But being able to have people out there immediately who know what they're doing, working around the clock to save our pier is fantastic. And on a, 
And on a broader level, I want to thank staff, the city manager, Mr. Morley, for um, just looking at this and saying, we will find the money. Um, this is something we can do. I, I appreciate um, what, what Mr. Fields was saying about the taxpayers. I, I have a feeling the taxpayers would rather we took some money that was set aside for City Hall and, and put it to the pier, because a lot more people enjoy the pier. Um, you know, the pier, it's hard to put a price on it. It's, it's close to priceless. Um, a couple things I know about the pier is it is quite the draw. I think anybody that has friends come to Ventura knows that. I will tell you that when my wife was looking at a job in Ventura and she said, you know, we grew up in LA. And she said, is a you know, somebody says you should get a job in Ventura. What do you know about Ventura? And I said, well, I know they must have a beach because I've driven past the pier. And that was what I knew when I was in my early 20s. And the fact is, you know, it's at that boundary. It's to be on the pier on a good day is, is humbling. And I think what we see now in particular with Mother Nature is again, just how humbling it is. I, I note that it's the first meeting of the year. I, I think it's important to note that this is another example of, you know, we need to humble ourselves a bit, look to some of the practices from the, the Shumash who stewarded this land for so long and acknowledge that um, all of this is unceded Shumash territory. But with all of that, um, you know, even assuming that we can't get the, the money from the state, you know, I, I look forward to getting the pier up and running as, as quickly as possible, knowing that it may be ephemeral and, and that breaks my heart, but I'm not ready to give up on it just yet. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Halter followed by Councilmember Durant. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, staff, for an excellent presentation. I wanted to echo that, uh, what uh, Councilmember Johnson just said as well, the pair is extremely important to this community and to the state of California, and I think that um, the fact that I'm a Midtown Community Council where we're doing uh, talking about the future, it was I think it was our visioning, part of our visioning activities in 1999, uh, was asked, did one exercise where they asked everyone who attended to put a dot on something that they think of when they're away from Ventura. And about 90 to 95% of people put a dot on the pier. It's that iconic. So as we continue through this journey of climate change and, and the future of coastal erosion and warming and so forth. Um, I think at some point it would be very interesting, as our mayor said, to see uh, the strength of metal pilings in the cost and the longevity of metal pilings in a saltwater situation, <laughs> okay? So I imagine there might be a shorter lifespan than wood. But I also think there's other design techniques that I think the emblem, the I, um, the vision of a pier in the ocean is as important to identity of Ventura and the future of Ventura that perhaps it might be something to look at as far as what a design could be that could withstand these dramatic changes that we're seeing on our ocean, in our ocean. With that, I would make a motion to approve staff's recommendations to move forward. Um, and I want to thank you again. I want to thank the uh, Ventura uh, Pier under the STARS board for all their hard work in raising money uh, to help help in times of need like this. Thank you. Uh, do I have a second? I, second. Second. That was my... Uh... Yes. 
Uh, one final question. So FEMA, we can't go to FEMA even if we declare uh, tonight? So we already did it. So, so FEMA has to declare a disaster in order to be able to apply for, for federal money. And they won't declare a disaster on this because it was T too small? Typically, yes, typically, uh, typically it's the state that declares a disaster first and then if there's ample uh, uh, losses then, then the federal government may, may also choose to do it. At this point we're hopeful at least that the state does and then we'll be able to apply for state uh, disaster money. Okay, thank you. Um, if there's no other comments, we'll go to a, a vote, please. We do have a motion and a second to approve the staff recommendation on item number eight. You can go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered. Seven ayes, and the motion carries. Thank you very much, staff. Item 9, an ordinance amending Chapter 10.100 of the City Municipal Code clarifying definitions of solicitation and related topics. Chief Schindler. Well, good evening and happy new year, mayor, uh, council and staff. Uh, tonight we have two ordinances with recommended amendments. Uh, up first is the solicitation ordinance. Uh, with this ordinance, there are essentially two recommendations. Uh, one, clarifying the code's description of aggressive solicitation. And secondly, prohibiting solicitation in high traffic areas like center medians. Uh, the city does continue to receive complaints surrounding these two issues and the record amendments will allow us to better address them. Uh, so with that, I'd like to turn the presentation over to Assistant Chief Rick Murray and Assistant City Attorney Chris De La Vega for the presentation. Good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and City Council members. Uh, we are going to discuss two ordinance amendments uh, this evening, and the first one is the solicitation ordinance. The current solicitation ordinance was enacted in 1971 and was last amended in 2011. Our community has changed since 2011, which led us to consider the changes that are being recommended this evening. The first change is better defining what aggressive solicitation is. The new definition would now include solicitation with the following prohibitions, such as following pedestrians, use of abusive language, unwanted physical contact, intentionally blocking uh, pedestrians or vehicular traffic, and any fear of bodily harm or intimidation in an attempt to receive money or goods from our community. The second component is updating the time, place, and manner of the solicitation. Currently, there are several prohibited locations uh, within the ordinance. With the amendment, we have clarified locations, modified others, and added additional locations to better reflect the issues that affect our community. The amended ordinance now clearly defines roadways, center medians, and business driveways as areas where soliciting is prohibited. Also, soliciting on any public transit will now be prohibited. The ordinance also calls for a modification from 50 feet from an entrance to a bank or ATM to 15 feet 
we found that 50 feet was unnecessary and the lesser distance is more sufficient. So why are we recommending prohibiting uh, sol uh, solicitation in high traffic areas? We're trying to affect behavior and this type of behavior can lead to increased uh, risk to traffic accidents, can impair visibility and disrupt traffic flow as it uh, creates distractions to drivers from their primary duty of safely operating their motor vehicles. Drivers are paying more attention to solicitors and other vehicles, traffic signals, or are concerned about their safety as solicitors walk up and down the streets approaching cars. The, amendment, uh, the amended ordinance includes a prohibition of standing on any median or in the street while soliciting. The intent is to provide a safer environment for everyone involved, including the solicitors who will oftentimes walk in the middle of the street. Although the amended uh, ordinance applies to anyone soliciting, the unfortunate reality is the vast majority of our complaints we receive are from those soliciting for money, a majority of whom are unhoused. A goal of this amendment uh, is to increase safety to our community and change the behavior of those who are soliciting. With that in mind, warnings would be provided first for 30 days and outreach for wraparound services would be provided for those who need it. As you may know, the city provides numerous services, including Salvation Army, the Ark Shelter, Turning Point Foundation, River Communities Church, Project Understanding, Catholic Charities, and one-stop health services, to name a few. <clears throat> Our ultimate goal is to provide a margin of safety and assistance for all involved. There are some uh, constitutional considerations that uh, Assistant Attorney Chris De La Vega will address now. Thank you, Deputy Chief, Assistant Chief, excuse me. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor, Deputy Mayor, uh, City Council members. I just wanted to touch briefly on the constitutional considerations uh, concerning this ordinance amendment. Uh, solicitation is a form of speech. As such, it is protected by the free expression clause of the First Amendment, like virtually every other category of speech. So it's important this, that the city do what it can to narrowly tailor its ordinance to achieve compelling state interests. Uh, the assistant chief articulated those interests previously. Uh, the goal of this ordinance is to, or this ordinance amendment, is to really target those issues as precisely as, pop as possible. Uh, that's the primary reason behind um, the much more precise and well-articulated definition of aggressive. It's the reason why we've limited uh, the categories to just what are specifically necessary to achieve state interests. Um, this, is support, this approach is supported by uh, a large body of case law. Uh, generally speaking, what you are allowed to do uh, as a government body in restricting speech is to create what are called time, place, and manner restrictions. Uh, we're doing two of those three things. Uh, place restrictions uh, in the form of things like, uh, like as the assistant chief mentioned, um, restrictions on solicitation in certain locations, and manner restrictions in the form of prohibiting aggressive solicitation. Uh, so it is our belief that this goal, this, this ordinance amendment will do as well or perhaps better than our current ordinance in achieving the state interests that we are allowed to pursue while staying on the right side of constitutional law. And back to you.
to summarize what the amendment is trying to accomplish, it will provide a better definition uh, for aggressive solicitation and will really dictate a time, place, and manner of solicitation in the hopes of enhancing safety and providing a better quality of life for all of our community. The staff recommends that we adopt the ordinance and schedule a second reading. And at this point, if there are any questions at this time, we'd be glad to answer them. City Council, questions? Um, Councilmember Campos. Um, in addition to this ordinance, I, I don't know how many people here remember, I'm sure Chief Schindler did, does. Several years ago, we had signs that were given to businesses discouraging people from giving money to panhandlers. And recently, some of the older businesses have asked me if we still have those signs. Can, do we have more still, or can that be added into this? So I do remember the signs. They essentially said uh, a hand up, not a handout. And um, I can easily check on that. And if we don't have any, we could probably work with community development and, and Leona and her staff to get some more signs made up for the businesses. Thank you. Other questions? Seeing none, let's go to public comments, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I do have three speaker cards submitted on item number nine. Our first speaker is Zach Kimball, followed by Nirvanika and Spencer Noren. Good evening, everybody. Um, first and foremost, especially on this day, any other day, there, BPD, former law enforcement, thank you for everything you do, keeping our community safe. So I know this is a very controversial topic, um, but when it comes to public safety like you guys have expressed, it shouldn't be a question about yes or no. It should be straight yes. You drive around this town, you have seen the deterioration of getting off the freeway, somebody's with a sign, coming downtown, somebody's asking for money, going to the grocery store. There's somebody at every entrance or exit asking for something or standing in front of the business itself. I don't wanna to go to a restaurant and be looking at a window or at the front door and somebody's there. You know, there's a lot of people that fear for their safety. They don't know what these people are capable of doing. Um, they're unpredictable. My girlfriend, she was a victim of vagrant crime. She was stabbed multiple times on Christmas. So it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, whatever we can do to clean up our shopping centers our businesses, our retail space. I'm all for it, and I hope you guys are too. You talk about tourism, we want the tourism here. You drive into the harbor every day from sunup to sundown, there is somebody right there as you exit the harbor. Um, and you know, we used to talk about scary Vons. We all knew where scary Vons was. Down here on the avenue, every Vons now is scary. Uh, you got the Vons on Telegraph in Victoria, where you have a registered sex offender day in and day out at that driveway at McDonald's. When you have kids getting out of Balboa and Buena High School, standing there waiting for the bus, waiting for their parents to be picked up, who have no clue who this individual is. No clue. And that is what we need to focus on, and that is what I hope you guys agree on so that we can start and make a change for our city. Thank you. Nirvanika, followed by Spencer Noren.
Once again, peace and love to everyone and everything everywhere. And the spoil of the poor is in your houses. And what do you mean by beating my people to pieces and to grind the faces of the poor? Now, as a construction worker and a demo man, I think chapter 10.100 needs to be demoed completely and rebuilt. Because what you're doing is you're taking away more of our freedoms. Okay? And in these crimes that I'm hearing about being committed, whatever happened to personal accountability? And the next thing you're going to do is you're going to ban ban people from making music in the streets. That's the next step from here. Okay, that's my main concern. And you know, you're taking away people's freedoms. There are people that are homeless and poor, and uh, they have no income whatsoever. And these people, you know, when, you, when you're panhandling this, there's, there's a lot of really wide center medians. And it's not a safety issue in these places. And they're at exits of stores. And, you know, these people, most of these people want a job, but they can't find one. And so, seconds here. The only thing I agree with in this ordinance is aggressive panhandling. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that, you know. I'm totally against aggressive panhandling, period. I want to make that clear. And, well, maybe another thing is, well, I disagree with everything else, and I'm going to tell you why. Because these people that are in certain, on, on sidewalks on the side of the road, and people want to give them money and they want to help this person out. That's kind. And, and these people go out into the street and get their money only when the light is red and the traffic is not moving, okay? Okay, and uh, uh, that's not a safety issue. That's not a safety issue, in my opinion. Let's, let's, let's keep, keep, Keep rocking in the free world. Let's keep this a free world, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our final speaker on item nine is Spencer Norn. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, council members, VPD, translation. Appreciate you translating my words. I'm excited about this ordinance for the safety of our community and for our businesses. If you ask our business community what's the number one concern about them and our customers, it's the homeless situation in the city of Ventura. And we really need to put a stamp down and support our police department and our first responders who are working day in and day out with hundreds of complaints of our residents about vagrancy, crime, and ultimately the way of life in Ventura. And so I'm proud of this ordinance. I'm proud of the work that our uh, attorney team has done in collaboration with the police department to give a little bit of teeth of still freedom that there is in America. 
We've got so many great social services in this community offering meals, food, places to sleep, jobs if needed. We can really reach out to the right people if it's done right. And the people that are looking for real help, I believe, are looking to be helped. But looking to have Band-Aids and come through Ventura, exploit our goodness. I believe that for the last decade or two, the city of Ventura has been the most giving, maybe in California, when it comes to our nonprofits, our city, and our residents. And that's why so many people want to come here and hang out and ask. And so we need some enforcement to show our community that you giving money ultimately isn't the best thing possible. It's supporting nonprofits. And it's about safety and our businesses. And because safety comes down to being in the middle of the road, selling goods that other businesses are selling and following the rules, whether it's food or flowers or jewelry, hamburgers, whatever it is out there, some other business is open selling that same good, paying a retail space, trying to keep those stores open for other hardworking Venturans. And I feel for the people that are down on their luck. I'm out there every day asking people if they need help. How can we help them? And 90% of them ultimately turn it down, to be honest, because they want to do it their own way. And this is a way for us, again, to say, if you don't want to do it our way, go somewhere else, because we're going to put women and children first. We're going to put the safety of our community first. So when you walk down a sidewalk and you walk by somebody, you don't feel in fear of your life. And that's where this country and this world's going. It's not the good old days anymore. People are heavily using drugs in the streets every day in Ventura that leads into asking money for drugs or into other activities. This is what this ordinance is about. It's about protecting the people and the business of our community while still saying that if you want to be respectful in our community, we have a helping hand. Thank you so much. That concludes public comment on item nine. Council deliberation. Mr. Durant, followed by the deputy mayor. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, Chief Schindler staff, for this uh, wonderful written ordinance. Um, I read it a couple times, a few times, and um, it was written really well. And I wanted, to, I wanted just to share with you that uh, I, I've seen it all over Ventura, where, where I drive. I've seen a, a mother holding a baby walking in the middle of traffic, and I thought, man, we, we need an ordinance for this. Um, off Johnson Drive, where I live in District 6, uh, my own daughter-in-law was pulling into the Carl's Jr. there, and uh, a, a gentleman walked up and said, uh, buy me something to eat. And he was obviously on something, and she got really nervous. And she goes, go ahead and order what you want. And he ordered $40 worth of Carl's Jr., one guy. But she didn't have to pay for it, thankfully. But she was frightened. She called me. She was frightened. And, you know, the other thing is that coming off Johnson Drive, I see somebody selling flowers and I could only think of Sweet Pea Flowers right, right across the street who also sells flowers. So I am in total support of this ordinance and I'd like to make a motion to, uh, appro um, to approve staff's recommendation. Do we have a second? Second. Uh, other deliberations? We've uh, done? No, oh, sorry. <laughs> Deputy Mayor. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to uh, thank you uh, for bringing this um, clarification uh, ordinance up. I, I think definitely much needed. Um, I've also seen and been witness to a lot of near misses um, when you have the unfortunate need to have people in medians um, asking for help, asking for money or selling um, so that they can get some sort of um, income. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to see. 
um, but also uh, for their safety and for the safety of others, um, I think we need to be able to um, uh, address that as well. Um, I just, I wanted to ask real quick, if I may, for clarification, um, the second reading, if approved, would be next council meeting on the 23rd, is that correct? And then should it pass then, it, is it effective immediately or are there 30 days or? Madam Deputy Mayor, it would be 30 days after the second reading, it would be effective. Okay, thank you for that. Um, and, and I think just uh, to also just get a sense of, um, will there be more patrol in the areas that have been identified on the updated list? Or how would you be addressing? Um... So our intentions are to heavily educate the solicitors. Um, we'll be um, telling our officers um, when they do have contact with them, and we're asking that they do, they do that proactively, uh, advise them that it's unsafe, that there is a city ordinance coming, um, and that we do not want to have to enforce it with citations. Um, obviously, if, if the ordinance um, passes the 30-day time period, we'll be issuing uh, written warnings, and then the second offense would be um, eligible for an enforcement citation. Got it. Great. Thank you. That's yes, all I have. Thank you. Mr. McReynolds, followed by Mr. Johnson. Yeah, so is there, a, are we going as far as we can? Is there an opportunity to go even further? And how do we go after the fake restaurants that get set up uh, in our city? Uh, and is that something that we can further expand this? I'll give you a short answer to a very complex question and issue. Um, we are working um, with our partners at the county, the health department, code enforcement, um, our deputy city manager has actually put together a, a committee to work on the, we call them pop-up stands, the stands that are selling food, um, hot food, um, on the sidewalks. At this point in time, without getting into a lengthy description, California legislature has ruled that the city can regulate that, but they cannot prohibit it. So to regulate that, the city would need to um, enact a new ordinance. That an ordinance would be civil in nature and non-criminal. Um, so it's very clear by the intent of the legislature that they do not want that being criminalized. Um, so there are some complexities to it. We're looking at what some of the other cities have done in, in the state, and that's currently under review right now. Uh, my statement would be that I'd be very in favor of bringing that forward as expeditiously as possible. Thank you. Yes, sir. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. And as somebody who was just recently elected as chair of VCOG, that's absolutely a topic that all the cities in the county are dealing with. And, and every city, we all need to really be working from the same plan because it relies so heavily upon the county. But I, you know, I think everybody is acutely aware of it. You know, I, I, I wanna thank you for bringing this. It's, it's very narrow in scope. I know I have had to call the police over an abusive solicitor on Main Street and in part because what we have is so vague, there wasn't a lot we could do. And, and this specifically lays out what, what would make it abusive language and that that would be prohibited. And then I too, I've seen, you know, the people, I, I appreciate what Mr. Tanner said that, you know, they only step out when there's the red light, but we've all been there where they're a couple lanes away from the median and they're taking the dollar and then the light turns green and not everybody knows they're there. And then as, as Mr. Noren pointed out, you know, some of the issues we've had at the shopping center at Victorian Telegraph with people in the driveways. And 
um, you know, that, that is an unofficial pick-up and drop-off point for our schools. I mean, if you don't believe me, try going to that Vons at like 3 in the afternoon. <laughs> the median age in that parking lot at 3 in the afternoon is about 14 years old. <laughs> so um, I, I greatly appreciate this, and I look forward to supporting this motion. Councilmember Halter. Great. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, staff and, uh, and chief, for bringing this forward. I, uh, my only dilemma is that we're, uh, once again, we'll look, we're looking at symptoms tonight and not the root cause of the problem. And the state has spent tens of billions and if not hundreds of billions of dollars trying to fix the problems that we created with years of policy, uh, uh, unintended consequences of policies that we've had. So this is a step in the right direction of keeping our community safe, keeping everybody safe, whether it's a person solicitating. Uh, in the middle of the medium, or whether it's um, uh, somebody in the neighborhood um, that um, is concerned at who that person is and what they might do. Um, but I think as a business owner in downtown over the years, I w I've seen it before where people stand outside the window. And so that was, um, Councilmember Reynolds asked that question about a little bit more uh, teeth to it. Because in downtown, for instance, um, what I saw very clearly is that when there's people that, what, whether they're, they're soliciting um, non-aggressively or not, it's the fact that people become fearful going into that establishment and they go on to the next building. And so uh, I'm willing to support this as is. It's a great step in the right direction, but uh, I think we need to just keep an eye on it and help uh, continue focusing most of our energy on fixing the root cause of the problem that we have. So thank you. Uh, my comments was what I really appreciated. I had discussions with the chief, and at all times he cared about constitutional rights. Um, and so I was glad, uh, uh, Mr. De La Vega, you were brought into this to help us as much as possible. Ms. Campos? I also want to thank it, all the work that was done by all of you, but particularly Mr. De La Vega. Tightening the language and removing the vagueness protects us from dealing with lawsuits later. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that very much. I don't believe there's any other questions or comments. We can go to a vote, Mr. City Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have a motion and a second to uh, support the staff recommendation on item nine. You can go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered, seven ayes, and the motion carries. Thank you much, great, great job, gentlemen. Um, number 10 is a, another ordinance. Uh, this one deals with um, um, oversized vehicles. So you wanna take it away on the presentation, please? Sure, thank you. Uh, good evening again. Uh, the second presentation is an update to the city's oversized vehicle ordinance. Um, we have seen a substantial increase in oversized vehicles parking on city streets. And as you'll hear shortly, um, we do respond to a large number of complaints each year. Uh, essentially, essentially, we are recommending an expansion of the prohibited hours for parking of oversized vehicles on city streets. And once we get the PowerPoint up, uh, Assistant Chief Rick Murray, and Assistant City Attorney Christy La Vega will also lead this presentation. Thank you. 
For this ordinance amendment, we will be discussing the oversized vehicles. In 2001, the current version of the oversized vehicle ordinance was adopted by City Council. The current version prohibits any oversized vehicles that are 25 feet long, 80 inches wide, or 82 inches high on any city roadway between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., excluding weekends and holidays. The amended ordinance would prohibit any oversized vehicles on any city roadway between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., including weekends, yet excluding holidays. So why are we modifying the current ordinance? There are several factors that necessitate the change to the ordinance. The prevalence of oversized vehicles within the city has drastically increased ever since COVID and that has not diminished. Uh, these vehicles were less of a safety concern during COVID due to low traffic volume. Now traffic volumes have increased to a much higher level and safety concerns have developed. Uh, our safety concerns in the oversized vehicles, number one, they obstruct the view for motorists from potential traffic collisions. Oversized vehicles, due to their, their high profile, impede the visibility of motorists as they enter and exit the roadway from public and private property. It can also obscure visibility to traffic control signs such as stop signs, turn restrictions, or traffic signals. Also, with the expanded hours, will give a margin of safety to school children walking to school as they have the same visibility issues as vehicles as they cross the streets and sometimes their judgment is not as clear as an adult. Another safety issue is, the, is that some of the oversized vehicles aren't maintained as well as they should be, resulting in waste disposal issues, uh, sewer leaks, and the accumulation of trash near these vehicles. The hours were modified to reflect the highest common traffic levels that we have, the daily commute to and from work. It's also during the time frame when children are walking to schools. Weekends have also been added uh, because of the city's outdoor lifestyle where many enjoy walking, bicycling, and motorcycling within our city. All these activities are less visible to drivers if they have an obstructed view. As a matter of fact, in 2021, we had 164 pedestrian, bicycle, and motorcycle accidents. In 2022, we had 195. That's a 19% increase. The data for 2023 isn't complete yet, but we're at this point we're at 175. There was also a recent NHTSA study that was done where over 750,000 traffic collisions were investigated. Almost 8%, that's 60,000 of those traffic accidents were attributed to an obstructed view. Here are some of the vehicles that would be regulated under this ordinance. There's many different types that we commonly see on the roadway. We also have community concerns about oversized vehicles. Over the past two years, the Ventura Police Department has received an average of 900 calls for service, reference oversized vehicles. In the past year alone, we received over 1,800 reports of abandoned vehicles. That's about 20% of which were oversized. And we're not alone in this as well. The city of Oxnard prohibits uh, vehicles that are 20 feet or over from parking any residential area seven days a week at any time, and Santa Barbara prohibits parking of oversized vehicles at any time where it's posted. And the city of Camarillo just recently changed their ordinance to the hours between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. 
There are exceptions to the ordinance to provide a benefit to the community, such as uh, service vehicles that are completing repairs at residents or businesses, unloading or loading of oversized vehicles, or delivering of uh, materials to uh, residents or businesses, or if someone gets a possession of a permit. Permits can be given on a case-by-case -case basis, depending on the circumstances uh, that they can complete online or by phone. And one of those circumstances could be, for instance, if someone lives in perhaps an apartment complex and their only mode of transportation is an oversized vehicle and they can't park in the, the, the proper spots, we may give a permit so they could park on the streets for that type of vehicle. Or if someone has residents that are visiting uh, from out of state in a, an oversized vehicle, you get a permit for that sort of vehicle so they can uh, remain on the street during their visit. The recommendation is that uh, the City Council adopts the ordinance and schedule a second reading. And finally, if you have any questions, we'd be glad to answer them about this particular ordinance. Fellow Council Members, questions? Council Member Halter? Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And again, thank you, staff, for uh, thorough and uh, for bringing this amendment forward and uh, thorough pres presentation. I want to ask you, though, in the older parts of our neighborhoods, like in downtown, midtown, um, where um, uh, the streets are typically congested with cars parking on both sides, um, the main street that is um, uh, that there's issues on is Polize Street, where people tend to want to go fast anyways. And as we try to cross those streets, even a van parked too close to the corner outside the red in a legally parked is enough to force you to go pretty much into the middle of the street to see whether or not it's clear enough to, to cross. So I'm concerned about um, not having provisions to just not, I don't care if it's six to six or any other time, an oversized vehicle parked on those streets is dangerous. And I'm not quite sure if there's anything we could do to, uh, to make it a little stronger for those areas where there's no parking off street except for maybe a one car garage, every other house uh, or a driveway, and there's constant uh, parking on the streets and people have to cross streets to get from one neighborhood, one side of the neighborhood to the next. Is, I don't know if there's anything else we could do to strengthen that. So um, the recommendation is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We made that recommendation because we believe that's when the heaviest pedestrian and motorist um, will be on the roadway. Um, typically after 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. you have less traffic, although it is dark normally. Um, the council, it is of council prerogative. They can, you can alter the hours, you can expand them, you can shrink them um, if, you, if the council does have concerns about that. We did talk about doing a 24-7 like the cities that you heard about, Oxnard and Santa Barbara. Um, in our conversations, we really wanted to make this, um, and, and our, our assistant city attorney can, can talk to this, but we really wanted to make it be able to withstand any legal challenges. Right. And, and our feelings were that we need, really needed to do this for safety. We needed to do it, in a, I hate to say, but a baby step. We didn't want to go too far too soon um, because there are people in town that have um, oversized vehicles and that might be their only mode of transportation. And we didn't want to frustrate them to the point where um, you know, they would complain that, hey, you're, you're penalizing us. So again, the council does have the discretion. We understand the concerns. I have the same concerns. Um, but I, I would like to ask the city attorney, uh, assistant city attorney, to comment on that. Sure. Um, as with any ordinance, uh, this is really a balancing act. Um, most, most municipal regulations are a question of competing interests. 
how far do you go one way without overly or unduly burdening people on the other side? We tried to craft an ordinance that we felt was fair, as fair as possible to everyone while still protecting city interests. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, if the council wants, you could go further. There's nothing that would legally prevent you from doing so. Um, it would potentially um, increase the likelihood of a challenge. Whether that challenge is successful or not is, is an open question. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, it likely would not be, but it's, it's hard to say that with any degree of certainty. Um, but certainly, there, there, there's no reason we couldn't necessarily create a more restrictive ordinance. Uh, an RV uh, or uh, an oversized vehicle is um, a responsibility rather than a right. Mm -hmm. People who choose to purchase them um, generally are required to accept some degree of responsibility for maintaining them and storing them in a safe manner. Um, we can regulate that as we see fit. I, this is the street that's most again impacted uh, with the the safety issue would be a street like Poli where people tend to go fast uh, when you look at San Nicolas or some of the uh, 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 Santa Inez in Midtown uh, people tend to go slower but it's the same thing is that you know that 20 foot red mark isn't enough to see beyond it you really do have to get in the middle of the street and you, and if somebody's not paying attention as they're driving down that street your front end could be a little too far out so is for good thought. Thank you for your answers. Councilmember Johnson, followed by Councilmember Campos. Thank you, Mayor. Following up on that, as I recall, there's state legislation that takes effect January 1st of next year that gives us some power for uh, prohibiting parking within a certain within a certain distance of, of intersections. And if I'm correct, could you just uh, write something up for council to let us know what that change might be? And then also a second thing, as we talk about RVs, I would just ask that the city manager or somebody report back on where we are on the plan we had for dealing with uh, RVs that had been impounded. But, but those, those are all my only questions. I, I thank you for um, putting this together. And I, I thank you for, again, being very careful to make sure that we're doing this for safety and not uh, because uh, out, out of some animus towards anybody. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Campos. So, for to, I, I need a little clarity. Did you say um, this time change on every city street in the city of Ventura, anywhere? Okay. And if a person needs to park an oversized vehicle at some point for whatever reason, they can get a permit from the police department. An application for a, for a permit can be obtained depending on the needs of the individual. It can be either done by uh, online or calling into the police station. Okay. And, and I see three, kind of three different populations. Um, people who uh, have the means to own an RV and tra use it to travel rather than staying in hotels, weekends at the beach and things. Um, People who are down on their luck but are working people and living in the RVs just to survive because they can't find rent in our expensive jurisdiction. And then the people who flout the law and sell drugs out the back door and dump the waste wherever they want. Are they being treated all the same in this ordinance? Yes, all three types of individuals will be treated the same. Okay. Okay, thank you. 
Councilmember Duran, followed by Councilmember McReynolds. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you again for the ordinance uh, that was written so well. Um, just a question in regards to uh, holidays not being included in this. Um, you know, when we were talking about, I mean, there's a lot of businesses open on holidays, and there's also a lot of pedestrians out on holidays. And so I would, I would think, uh, I don't know what the logic was behind that. I, I would include that, but tell me why you, you didn't include that. Holidays were, were presented due to the fact that uh, the police department is usually not open to get the permit, and we have a lot of visitor families that come from out of town that would mm -hmm. necessarily need one, and they wouldn't be able to get one. And that was why we added the uh, holiday exception to the rule. But planning, planning ahead, right? I mean, they'd be able to get that. Well, correct. If they did plan ahead, but the, our, our experience is sometimes people don't plan ahead, and they show up, and they expect to get a permit, and, and we're not available to give them one. Okay. I, but... You know, what, what I'm looking at is we still have safety issues with pedestrians and everything because they're out on the holidays. We're all out. We're all walking around, riding bikes, whatever. The other thing is Oxnard had, um, it looked like a little bit more um, stringent uh, parameters. Um, why, why did we not kind of replicate that? Why did we stop at 25? Why, how, could, we, could we go lower with that? Or what was the reasoning behind that? That particular size that we use is a general one that uh, fits a mold for most oversized vehicles. Uh, you can have more challenges the smaller the vehicle you get. And uh, the reason that Oxnard has so many different regulations, they're trying to accomplish something. They're different. Their city is different. So their safety issues are different than ours. Councilmember, I'll, I'll just add, as far as the size and definition of an oversized vehicle, we did not touch that at all. Um, the, the recommendations are the same as, it, as it's currently been. We yeah. didn't see a need uh, um, to justify uh, shrinking that, those dimensions. Thank you. Yes, sir. Councilmember McReynolds. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, one regarding the city parking lots. So if we have folks in the city parking lots, can we have the same enforcement on the parking lots that the city owns versus the private property. So currently this does not cover private property or city parking lots. This is um, streets only. Um, the council, if you elected to do that, I would again refer you to, I would ask the assistant <laughs> city attorney to, to speak on that issue. Uh, with respect to city property, we could certainly expand the scope of the ordinance to include city property. Regulating activity on private property is a much stickier issue. And then in regards to the schools, can we set a further distance? It talks about in the staff report the safety issues regarding schools. Could we just have a prohibition within, I'm gonna throw out a thousand feet. We could do that. Um, we actually started down that road and when we started talking about the hours and the days, we felt that the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, prohibition would cover um, that pretty well because it's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on every city street. Uh, we didn't see a need to add in plus 500 feet from a school. Uh, we felt that that would be covered with the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. prohibition seven days a week. Thank you. Yes, sir. Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I just had a question, couple of questions regarding the permits. Um, is there a fee for people to get a permit? There's no fees for the permits. They're, they're free. And are there, um, is there like a difference between like a short-term permit versus a long-term permit? 
um, what kind of permits can people, residents get? So I believe the max you can get is five days. If you want to do longer than that, you have to, you have to get an additional permit. Okay. Yes. I could, I'm not absolutely sure on that, but I believe it's something like that. Okay. Those were, those were my questions. Thank you. Um, I, I have a question. So uh, do we have a problem uh, with these vehicles parking in public parking spaces? I would say we do get complaints, especially in certain parts of town. Um, there are some city parking lots in Midtown that we routinely get complaints. Um, one of the one of the things we do with the city parking lots, you know, so we can't restrict this. You know, we don't want to restrict this every single place in the city. It just makes it overly broad and too restrictive. So, so there has to be some place for people to park at at times. Um, city parking lots is one of those places, and private property. What we typically do in the city parking lots, because we are trying to discourage overnight camping, is we will sign the parking lot, the city parking lot. Um, no parking from X hour to X hour. And it's typically about 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. Um, so what that does is allows them to be there for some time, but they can't basically sit there and, and camp in that, in that location. Okay, and is that the regulation that we used on, uh, what's the street, um, Chief, down by the beach uh, where the condos are? Paseo de Playa? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Um, any other questions? Public comments, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have uh, five speakers this evening on item number 10. Our first speaker is Zach Kimball, followed by Kristen Harrelson, followed by Nirvanika. Okay, so this was one I wasn't even gonna talk about, but when I got thinking about it and I was already gonna be here, um, started thinking of the area that I work in. I work off of Market in Eastman, industrial area. Day in and day out, we're having problems. Uh, during COVID, we had two shifts. Our warehouse shift started at 4 a.m. They were arriving at our work and finding motorhomes not only on the street, but also in our parking lot. Had been a problem, and it still kind of is not too bad. They've kind of moved down to Ortega, DuPont, on Bessmeyer, Westinghouse, those areas. But I do have a lot of customers I'm in the automotive industry. There's a lot of race shops out there, a lot of motorcycle shops. They're having issues. You know, they come in, they're parked behind their businesses in the alleyways, stuff like that. So I thought maybe I'd just let you guys know that, that there's a lot of businesses in that area that are concerned. And then hearing the presentation, another thing that caught my eye, I, rode, I ride a motorcycle 90% of the time. Been hit twice, um, lucky to be alive. Last time I was hit, it was because the car could not see me. They were pulling out off of San Clemente onto Thompson. And it was not necessarily an oversized vehicle, but it was a big van and it was parked and the guy could not see me and I hit him doing 40 miles per hour. Went about 20 feet in the air. Luckily, only thing that happened, sprained ankle. But I can see the concern on these one, you know, one lane streets where on a motorcycle, when you're coming up to an intersection like that, you'd be in the far lane. So you could see that car coming out. You have time to maneuver. But when you have the one lane and nowhere to go except into oncoming traffic, this car comes out. That would be a huge concern and the visibility and even at 35 miles per hour on Thompson, you only have a split second. And so, yeah, I think if we could get them regulated off the streets, especially during those high traffic hours, 
I think it'd be beneficial for people that ride bikes. There's a lot of e-bikes on the street, a lot more people riding motorcycles, scooters, uh, stuff that makes them more vulnerable because gas is so expensive and vehicles are so expensive. So I hope this ordinance passed. Thank you. Kristen Harrelson, followed by Spencer Noren. My name's Kristen. I'm newer to Ventura, not new to Ventura County at all. So hi everyone. I've never been to one of these and I've never spoke before. My concern is with the motorhome ordinance. I do, um, I came here because of the wording city streets um, and roadways, which is fine. I live over by Thompson and Chrisman. Um, there was a huge problem by your city maintenance yard. I've called the police many times. Many people like to trespass into that yard, grab whatever is in these bins, and do whatever kind of businesses there is. When I first noticed a lot of motorhomes on the alleyway, so I don't know if that is a roadway, it's not a name, um, I called many times the VPD and they were wonderful working with us because there was jugs of urine, there was feces, they were leaving all kinds of things there. This area is bordered by homes. There are four right on Chrisman and Thompson, their, their, their yards are right there. There's a multi-unit housing on Chrisman, two multi-units and a home. There's the new um, condos. This alleyway is used constantly. I'd also like you to reconsider as I'm listening your city parking lot to include that maintenance yard, not be um, have any oversized things staying overnight. There's kids that go to Cabrillo. Um, in the summertime, there's families who use this alleyway. They use their skateboards. They use whatever else is intended. They use the parking lot. So I would encourage you to maybe take that on a step-by-step -step basis. My other thing is when you say only city um, streets or you're talking only um, roadways, I have a problem with the park right behind um, Ocean Park. It is bordered by homes. There was someone currently living there. He knows all the rules. He stays there from morning until dusk. I have called VPD multiple times. I really don't want to call VPD on this all the time. He lets his dogs out, all five of them, off leash. One time I was walking at the park, he opened his door to let his dogs all rush at me. They were probably friendly dogs, but guess who didn't know that? My two dogs on a leash almost ripped my hand out. He's gotten so comfortable living there knowing the hours. He now has had an open fire the last two weeks where he's either cooking an open fire, his um, generator is on. There are kids playing within feet of him. There is a house within 20 feet from him. I find this to be so unsafe, I can't even go to the park anymore and enjoy myself. And I would like to maybe include park parking lots, city parking lots, things where people aren't taking advantage. I have a right as a taxpaying citizen also to feel safe. I have a right to use these parks. On a good note, that park has been being used more regularly. I've seen quinceanera dancing um, while they were practicing for a quinceanera. When I left here, there was people playing pickleball with a, a set. There's been um, pickup basketball games, et cetera. And I'd just like you to consider that anything within that housing where our kids are to be considered. I just feel like a fire is about to happen there. And I feel very unsafe. Thank you. Spencer Noren, followed by Stephanie Caldwell. Thank you, Michael. Mayor, Council, VPD, translation. I want to completely support this ordinance and go farther if we possibly can. Um, Oxnard was very telling for me. We're neighboring cities right next door. If they have 20 feet, I think we should go 20 feet. If they have 24 hours or whatever we'd mentioned here, I think we match it the same. So if you're in Oxnard hearing that you can't get there, word will spread fast that Ventura has lighter ordinances. 
Keep that in mind, please. Also, maybe moving forward, I really want to include city parks, city parking lots. And when we talk about private parking lots and commercial spaces, I think we look into some type of new way to streamline this, Chief. Kind of like if you're trespassing, we get them to fill out the form ahead of time so a VPD goes there. I think we should communicate with every commercial property owner in the city of Ventura and ask them, do you want to allow commercial vehicles and RVs on your private space? If you do, I guess it's their right. If they don't, I think we should have them removed as well. Because a lot, Victoria and Telegraph is a major way, mostly on Hill, Hill Street, which we talked about a lot. Because you go from 6 to 6, they come back at 6 o'clock, there's a lot of traffic going from that catwalk to the McDonald's 24 hours. A lot more illegal criminal activity is being harbored by these RVs. I understand not everybody. That's a major part of our crime. I would love to look into an ordinance added to this, to an amendment, about an area away from schools and parks. Councilmember Reynolds hit on that. Excuse me. Schools and parks are so safe. The public speaker right here. We got to feel safe at, safe at parks. If we don't, we're losing our integrity. So I just want to come up here to say thank you so much for looking into this. It's much needed. It can go farther. So I really want to encourage council to pass this and to look at ways to go farther about shortening the vehicle size, looking to commercial spaces, also going into public parks and public spaces. Thank you. Next speaker is Stephanie Caldwell, followed by Nirvanica. Good evening. I hadn't planned to speak tonight. Um, my name is Stephanie Caldwell. I serve as the president and CEO of the Ventura Chamber of Commerce. Our office is located in Midtown on Main Street at the corner of Main and South Evergreen. And we are in a small building that has about five different suites. Ours is one of them, and then there are four businesses um, there as well. Um, our first uh, couple of months in that building, our front plate glass window was smashed in a smash and grab. Um, Alessandro's Hair Salon, which is on the opposite side of that building from us, same building, um, their building has, been, they have had smash and grabs a number of times. Um, our building regularly gets tagged. Um, I came in, I often get to work very early in the morning. I came in at 6.30 uh, one morning and someone in an RV who parks out in the city lot, which is in the back of our building, um, had tied into our water line um, and so they were filling their tanks with with stolen water um, we've had a number of challenges with debris um, drug paraphernalia alcohol food all sorts of human waste and things that are all over um, the all of the lots there are three different lots that are surrounding our building again one of them is a city lot so I would be very supportive, not only of this ordinance, but of looking at how we can take this even a little further. Um, I would certainly be supportive of this, including um, city lots. I think that will go a long way. I also want to say that RVPD has been incredibly supportive. They are more than well aware of the challenging areas. I know that they have been um, called out to our location a number of times, and they have been incredibly responsive. Um, during the day, we often have active drug deals and, and users um, in the back of our area. Um, we're fortunate because we don't have a lot of necessarily traffic that's coming into our office, um, but the other businesses in our little area are all service-oriented businesses. Uh, a coffee shop, a nail salon, a hair salon. So people are very much um, 
those businesses are concerned about their customers feeling safe coming in and out. So um, just bear that in mind. But again, I just want to say thank you to VPD for, for the responsiveness and working with us to help us um, work with our neighbors to come up with better ways to help each other. Thank you. And our final speaker is Nirvanika. Our next speaker has requested the slide with the pictures of uh, the vehicles to be placed on the screen, please. Hold on now. Okay, well, it looks like we're losing more and more of our freedoms every day. And, uh, you know, I think this is a, another ordinance that needs to be demoed and uh, take into account personal accountability for people that are dumping their sewer on the streets. You're, you, you already stated that this ordinance is for everybody. Uh, including the innocent. Okay, this ordinance is an unconstitutional ordinance. It needs to be demoed. And um, there needs to be no time limits. And if there is time limits, it only needs to be in residential areas. Because if this passes, that means people are not going to go to any shopping area, any shopping, any store on Thompson Street between... Um, Telegraph and downtown, we're not going to be able to shop there, okay? And I'm going to tell you something else. I've got a lazy days, and my lazy days was made in Pomona, California, and it's the best home I've ever had in my entire life. And I love my lazy days that was built in Pomona, California, and like I said, it's been the best home I've ever had. I don't have... I don't have crackhead neighbors. I don't have meth head neighbors. I don't have alcoholic neighbors. I don't have people breaking into my vehicle. And if they do, so what? So what? I'll get more. This is unconstitutional. This has become a neo-Nazi country and a neo-Nazi city. And people that have had wrecks are probably not due to oversized vehicles. You already have an ordinance. You've got to be 25 feet from a driveway to park these things. You have that ordinance. I know. Okay, so, excuse me. What, I'm getting sidetracked. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, if people are having wrecks, there's probably not because of oversized vehicles. I'm talking about people on motorcycles. It's probably because of that stupid law that they passed in California about splitting legs. 
splitting lanes, most idiotic law I ever saw in my life. That's probably what the real deal is. It's why people's having accidents on their motorcycles is because they're splitting lanes. Should, shouldn't be legal. You should have to abide by all the laws just like everybody else. Shouldn't be able to split lanes. And Thank you. Go back to Berlin. Go back to Berlin. That concludes public comment on item 10. Councilmember Campos. Oh, I'm, Chief, did you want to make a comment? Was that okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. So some great comments, and I, I wrote a couple of notes down. I wanted to address a couple of them. Um, the, the, the comments about the parks, city parks. Um, so our, all city parks close at dark, and we can actually enforce that now. We just have to make sure the signage is up, um, but that should not be an issue. Um, so that's, I wanted to make sure that was on the record. Um, two, private property. Um, I believe it was Mr. Noren mentioned. Um, we do have uh, arrangements with businesses. We have what's called a trespass letter. And if there are oversized vehicles parking in someone's private property, we will absolutely go out there and enforce that um, on the owner's behalf, as long as we have permission from the owner. And then, and then lastly, something I wanted to touch on is I really want to mention that this ordinance is really geared towards, primarily towards traffic safety. Um, this ordinance is not about so much unsightliness and some of the unhoused issues. This is really about traffic safety. What we're trying to do is make the streets, the pedestrians, the motoring traffic safer. So although I understand some of the concerns um, about um, maybe this doesn't go far enough, um, and again, our assistant city attorney can address this, we really geared this towards what we felt was um, good for the city something that we can stand behind of challenge for traffic safety and safety of the motoring public as well as the pedestrians. So I, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Campos. Yeah, I can, I can make just two related comments. Uh, one, it's important when we're drafting any kind of ordinance to ensure that we're targeting the issue that we're trying to resolve, which, as the chief mentioned, in this case is public safety. There's a lot of, there have been a lot of comments uh, about ancillary issues, um, and I think it's, while those things might merit attention, this is perhaps not the vehicle to do so. Um, yes, I think that's all I wanted to say. Thank you both. Um, Councilmember Campos. Yes, thank you, Mayor, and thank you, gentlemen. Um, so we, we heard different types of comments now, and it, it should remind us that while we're looking at the safety of the vehicle parking, and clearly there's a need for education around this, this issue too, that we also, um, perhaps the HOPES Committee can take on to address some of the issues of the unsheltered population that are not getting dealt with, that could also help support our police and our community have more safety. And I, I want to bring that up now because I know we'll have a meeting sometime this month. Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Mayor. Um, and thank you for addressing some of the questions um, that the public made because I, I had written those as well. Um, I did want to ask about the alleyways. Um, would this ordinance cover that as well or do we have to be specific? Yes, yes. It would cover alleyways as long as they're not private property. And okay. in most city alleyways are not private property. Okay. 
Um, and then in regards to um, the city parking lots, I know that you said this is more for traffic safety. Um, would you still recommend or not recommend that we add city parking lots to this ordinance? Again, I, I don't think this is the um, ordinance we want to do that with. Okay. Um, based, on, based on our conversations with the city attorney's office and looking at the, the legislation, um, it's harder for us to explain the traffic safety, pedestrian safety, et cetera, motor safety in a parking lot. Okay. Um, so we really did gear this towards the, the, the safety on the streets. Now, there are some health safety issues. Mm -hmm. we, you heard about some of the, the sewage and, and right. spilling from these vehicles. That is a concern. Um, so th there might be something there, but I'm not sure that that's something um, we, we can address Through right this. now with this. And then my last question, um, <clears throat> oversized vehicles are allowed to park in city parking lots from what hours to what hours? It depends on the parking lot. Okay. So we do have parking lots that are, like I mentioned, um, prohibited from 3 to 5. Mm -hmm. There are some that I believe are like midnight to 6 a.m. Okay. Yeah, it just depends on where it is. Um, Paseo de Playa, that the, uh, the, the area the mayor mentioned earlier, I believe that's 3 to 5 okay. a.m. Yeah. Would it make sense at any point to like do an overall blanket of no parking in city parking lots from such and such hours so that they're all consistent? I think that's something that, that we, we can look at along with the city council and the city attorney's office, but probably not under this municipal okay. code. Great. Thank you for that. Yes, Councilmember Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, question in regards to safety. So summer's coming, or the time change is going to come soon, and it's going to be light outside. I'm wondering if it would make more sense to go from, um, uh, so we got six, right now it's going to be six at night till six in the morning, right? The prohibited times are 6 a.m. to six at night. Okay, perfect. So my, my other question is, we have, um, we have sleep, uh, safe sleep in Ventura. So th this is always an option for motorhomes to go to. I think we have three locations, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's as I was reading on the uh, Salvation Army uh, website, it said, you know, a, a vehicle. So, I mean, these are options for people. I guess they would need to be made aware, to, made aware of that so they could register their, with the safe, safe seat program. So we're not really, we're, we're, we're helping people. There's, there's places for them to go. Absolutely, I, I agree with that. And, and last I checked, I don't believe that the safe sleep locations are being fully taken advantage of. Thank you. Yes, sir. Councilmember McReynolds. Um, I would like to make a motion, if possible. Uh, so I would like to uh, approve, uh, make recommendation to approve staff's recommendation. I would like to add that schools, you know, I think we do the buses now, you know, the, when we see a bus, bring the stop signs out, all traffic stops to protect it so that the kids can cross and everything like that. So I think we can, staying in that same vein of public safety that we would limit uh, oversized vehicles within, I was gonna say a thousand feet of schools um, as part of the ordinance. Uh, maybe that's, I'm more than open to, if there's a, a 500 makes more sense, I'm open to that. Um, and then in regards to the city parking lots, could I ask at a, in, by the end of March, 
uh, that we have an ordinance coming back to relook at our city parking lots as a separate item um, to, uh, in regards to potentially codifying the same times and such like that. And then the third part would be in terms of the parks that we ensure that the signage is up and that we start the strict enforcement um, at our parks. So that would be my motion. Do we have a second? I would second that at 500 feet from schools. Amiable. Yeah, I'm open to the. Okay, you're good with the 500 feet? All right. Can, can I ask a point of clarification? Did you mean within 500 feet of schools at all times? Correct. Okay. Councilmember Halter followed by Councilmember Johnson. I just made my comment. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. I, I, I appreciate where my colleague is coming from, but I can't support it with the, uh, with the additions. I, you know, I, I, again, when we talk about schools, they can't park, you know, wherever in relation to a school between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And, and I think making it very complicated, um, enforcing it after 6 p.m. around schools when there may not be a lot of school activity. I, I don't know that that makes much sense. When it comes to city parking lots, uh, I, I appreciate the, the vigor with wanting to come back by March. Uh, we're going to be dealing with parking downtown and we still have to deal with the parking authority. And we've got at least one, maybe two vacancies on the downtown parking advisory committee. We've, we had the three workshops. We're going to need to deal with parking and we're gonna to need to deal with parking citywide. And, and so I, when it comes to parking, I can think of about 100 other things I, I'd rather we focused on between now and March. And then when it comes to in the parks, you know, as a frequent user of our parks, I certainly see people parking oversized vehicles at Camino Real and Arroyo Verde and uh, even at, um, at Juana Maria. And, you know, I, I think the parks are there for them to enjoy. And, you know, if they're causing problems, that's, that's one thing. But when we're talking about, you know, you already can't park there overnight, um, that's a separate issue. I, I appreciate hearing from, I believe it was Ms. Harris, about her, her experiences at Ocean Park, but that is not an RV oversized vehicle issue. That is, that is a separate issue. And, uh, and, and while I appreciate Mr. Tanner's comments about if he wants to drive his vehicle to, to go shopping and that he can't park it on the street. As somebody who has at times towed a trailer behind a pickup truck, I know that when I'm doing that, I have to be very careful about where I go. There are very real limitations that come with parking an oversized vehicle. And so with that, I would move as a substitute motion staff's recommendation. Is second. There, second. There's a second. Um, my, my comments are the parks, I don't visit all the parks, but the parks I visit are the ones that seem to me to have a gate or a mechanism that prevents people from being in there before six o'clock in the morning. Is that the case at all of our parks? Some parks do have the gates, um, but not all parks. Like, so Marina Park does, uh, Camino Real does, it, right. Community Park. Grant Park does Royal as well. Park. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, anybody else? 
So help me here, Mr. City Clerk. Um, sure. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have a substitute motion to approve the staff recommendation. and We do have a first and second on that. We'll take the substitute motion first. The initial motion was to approve the staff recommendation and to include a prohibition on 500 foot from schools at all times and to request that an ordinance be returned by March for city parking lots and ensure that signage is up at parks and that we adhere to strict enforcement. So help me, which... Um, so we'll take the substitute motion first, which is the staff recommendation. Thank you. Sure. Okay, so we're going to vote on the staff recommendation. Is that clear for, with everyone? Okay. Thank you. So for the staff recommendation on item 10, go ahead and enter your vote now. All votes have been entered. Three no's, four ayes, and the motion carries. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, staff. Um, Mr. De La Vega, thank you very much. Mr. Hunter, thanks. Chief, thank you very much. Uh, public communications, Mr. City Clerk. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker card submitted for public communications, Helen Aloyan. Uh, and Spencer Norman, my apologies. I get to talk first. <laughs> okay, so honorable mayor and council members, happy new year, and thank you for your time this evening. Um, and thank you on behalf of the Westside Community Development Corporation for allowing people like me, young urban professionals, to do the kind of work that we want to do in our communities. And specifically for me, it would be benefiting the Westside population. Um, and that's all through CB. One, one second, please. Oh, <laughs> Mac, can you take that outside? Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to make sure that yet we can hear you and there's no adjoining noise. I don't have to yell. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So I just want to say all that work, great work is done through the CDBG funding. Um, so I did want to provide some highlights on our grassroots housing program that we have been working very hard on with our community partners as well as city staff. So first... I am pleased to let you know that our efforts with Ventura College, working with architectural students to create unique um, ADA-compliant drawings for all Venturans living in um, any sort of walk of life, it's, um, we'll, all the drawings are in progress. The uh, assignment will be repeated every year. Um, so that lends well to a living catalog of pre-reviewed or pre-approved uh, designs for additional dwelling units that would be available for our community members to use. And our goal with that is to help foster naturally occurring affordable housing. Um, next, we're also working on a resource directory that will also be provided uh, and available for um, community members to use. So this would be more so um, think pre-approved lists for contractors, lenders, and any sort of consultant you would need essentially to get the project done all in one place. So a true non-stop shop to set Ventura apart from the rest of the cities who are doing the same thing. And then finally, and I think this is a very important piece for the west side, is that we will be advocating for a revival of a, a second dwelling unit amnesty program. Um, as you may have noticed, climate change is having real serious implications on our development capability 
properties on the west side. Um, a lot of it is now in a very f high fire um, severity zone, which precludes development of an ADU, which leads us to one thing, protecting in place the ADUs we have and making sure they are up to current standards. So it is imperative that we protect our ADUs and provide a hand up to those seeking um, a path to compliance. Currently, the um, administration, the way it's set up, is tied intrinsically to code compliance or code enforcement, and that does kind of create a sense of mistrust. Um, like I said, I've worked with city staff on this, so I know them well. I know that they'll do a fantastic job, but we need to get our community members there as well. So I really, really appreciate your guys' time tonight. I look forward to our continuing dialogue and future good works together. So that's it for me. Thank you. That concludes public comment. Uh, apologies, Spencer Noren, and then that will conclude public comment. That's why I say. That's why I say thank you, Michael, every time. Thank you, Michael, <laughs> Mayor, Council, VPD, Translation. Mayor, we're going to get out of here before nine o'clock. Are you happy? I couldn't be happier. Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to say, 2024, moving forward, it's going to be a great year for this council. I think we can see it here in our attitude today about getting out here a reasonable time, being effective with our work, and in the past. I want to just say quickly, I've maybe been out of line a few times at council with my demeanor and my passion. And let everyone know, I'm working on that. I've been this passionate my whole life, and I continue to be this passionate for my city and to represent the, the constituents and the representatives and everybody in our community. But I also have to understand that how I get communicated with and how I'm received is very important. If my message is coming off hostile or aggressive. It isn't effective, and that's what I don't want to be. And if I've come off that way in the past, to council members or community members, I'm sorry. Moving forward, I also wanna know about great things, about how we can move together and work together. And most of it's about, for me, it's urban forestry. I love urban forestry, this community. We still have 10,000 plus empty tree wells moving forward. So as I'm out there beautifying our community, working out there every day, I see that as a really need for our community to show how we can kind of grow into the future. Kids see trees. They love trees. I was recently at a Ventura Unified School District meeting where Christy Weir was there with Ventura Tree Alliance talking about partnering with the Ventura Unified School District on more urban forestry to really show our community the small things we're doing to improve things. You know, the pier not being fixed, different things being done. It seems to be like there's kind of a lot of negative connotation on certain storylines that move forward, but the planting of trees, partnering with schools, Making schools more readily available is going to be a big topic coming forward, and I think council plays a big play in that when it comes to open space and safety. Schools for historically CrossFit and Tur have always been safe places. They still are now, but they're fenced off. About three quarters of them are fenced off. If we could bring fences and security to our schools while students are on campus, 100% in favor. But when students leave, before it gets dark, I think the community can find a way to coexist with our school district. Maybe some volunteers get keys and lock the doors. Somehow to keep costs down, but effective play open, something very big. Also, I will plug sports coming up this week. I'm a huge fan of basketball, wrestling, girls water polo was tonight. I don't know who won, but it was rivalry week this week between Buena and Ventura. Boys basketball plays tomorrow at, I think, 4, 5, 30, and 7. Tomorrow night, is all, that's at Buena. Tomorrow night is also the wrestling match, Ventura versus Buena at Ventura. And then Thursday night is girls basketball, which probably might be the best match I've ever been all. 
JV's at 5.30, Varsity's at 7, Ventura High School, Thursday night girls basketball. Thank you so much. Now that concludes public comment. Um, meeting adjourned.